Libators, it's your guy, Charles. Let me bend your ear about our sponsors at Plift. Sometimes we don't feel like traditional alcohol libations, or perhaps you're living an alcohol-free lifestyle but still imbibe in THC. With Plift's flavor-forward lineup of classic cocktail-inspired beverages, there's something for everyone. Classic vices made modern and perfectly dosed for any major or casual social occasion. Plift is available in multiple U.S. states and growing rapidly. Find out more at Plift.com. That's P-L-I-F-T dot com. Hey, Quam, let's libate. I did, I did glean, I, I gained the system a little bit because I did a beer and a bump at a couple places. Okay. And for those of you outside of the Midwest, that is not a beer and cocaine in the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, a beer and a bump in the Midwest is a beer and a ounce and a half pour of a spirit on the and side. Had them combined, it would be a Boilermaker. But uh, it is really funny being in places like L.A. and referencing a beer and a bump and be, watching bartenders be like, oh, you're just going to ask for that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, I'm sorry. I meant whiskey. I, I, I truly meant whiskey. Yeah, I wasn't asking you for uh, Narcan. <laughs> exactly. Let me get some of that. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, man, we're talking about some some deliciousness. We're talking about some agave. So I feel like we should probably introduce who the guest is since you have actually, you have referred to this on the show yes. and now it is manifested a few weeks later. So yeah. if you want to bring back that moment, what was that, two, three episodes ago? That was on the rectangle episode. Yep. Uh, it, it's been, Escondido has been referenced multiple times, but I remember saying on that particular episode that, Escondido is the best agave bar in the Midwest. And I was like, I'm not, that's just, it's not hyperbole. I don't say things like that lightly. And it must've been a week later. And I told you this, Todd, that uh, the, it was food and wine, right? The feature yeah, said yeah. Uh, best, did they call it best tequila bars though? Is they, they said top 15 tequila bars. Tequila bars is what they called yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. They meant agave. They said tequila. Those amateurs at Jack's Notes, Food and Wine <laughs> Magazine. They wanted to lower their bounce rate, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And people will actually read it. But I was like, oh, shit. All right. Justification. I loved getting that, uh, Charles, when you sent me that, like, the screenshot. You yeah. circled it. You're like, I am fucking told you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I wasn't pushing back on it. I just like to do that. Yeah. It was my first top something list, for sure. Well, I mean, uh, like, yeah. so... Let the lovely listeners around the world know what your name is, and uh, and yeah, a little bit about Escondido. Um, okay, so my name is Todd Mulher. Um, I have worked for the Central Restaurant Group since 2018, and um, kind of helped build the the program, the agave program around the, the the restaurant. And when COVID kicked in, we ended up having um, some empty space at the restaurant. And we also had a lot of bottles on the shelf that we weren't selling because of we were shut down and then back open, shut down, back open. Um, so the idea just was like, hey, can we use this back room for an agave tasting room? And the theory was uh, that I've been to Oaxaca a few times and Oaxaca City has a lot of tasting rooms that are very small. You go in and you get you get to buy product directly from producer. Um, in Minnesota, we can't necessarily do that. Um, we have to go through the three channel or the three tier three tier system. system. Yeah, and but the Boo. idea is let's copy everything we can and let's bring the the idea of coming into a room, sitting down, and um, and presenting agave spirits uh, in more of a farm to glass type scenario for people. Um, 
And then also carrying some product that maybe not everybody carries. The goal is to try to have unique spirits in there that not everybody is, uh, that either they have or they just aren't selling. And so Escondido was born. It was just sort of a, an opportunity to get um, some of, uh, just some people in front of the spirit that they aren't familiar with. I mean, the classic scenario for me is um, people come in and they uh, are like, well, I love tequila, but I don't necessarily love mezcal. Or I don't, I've never heard of Rocio, or I've never heard of this. And so our goal is to try to speak to those, uh, all those different things that come out of uh, Mexico and come from the agave plant itself. So, so Escondido started in 2021. Yeah, 2021, February 2021, and and here we are today. Yeah. I guess. I mean, the reality is, it, it sort of changed over the times. But the idea is, um, I've got a, a a team that works with me, and then kind of and um, who I'm going to call out by the way. Yeah, please do. Right. So it's Nick. Uh, Nick is it we- Weiss? Nick Weiss and Ian Lawson, uh, they both work at the company too, and they have both taken the time to um, honestly probably learn more than me at this point. They know a ton. They've been there a ton. They buy the product. They drink the product. Um, their home bars are are just as good as every you – know, just as good as any bar you go to. So the idea is we've got this kind of three-person – uh, team that can walk people through, and, and and that's what Escondido is, and and it's more than for us personally. Um, it's uh, I think it's more of a passion. So even Escondido is just a room that you can come in and taste at, but it's also kind of what we really love to chat about and talk about. And I hope today, kind of what we're going to do of taste some things and yeah. just continue to have a conversation. Um, uh, I think that's what mezcal is to me: is to sit and pour little tastes and drink and talk. And that's kind of what I hope Escondido is. So for those of you listening, uh, that, that aren't around our home base, uh, we're talking about a restaurant that started in Northeast Minneapolis. Uh, a lot of cities know this tale, uh, old, uh, really, really good bones, industrial buildings. And as manufacturing, uh, moved either to other places or out of the country, a lot of these buildings were kind of left over. And uh, what you start to see is really inventive restaurants, uh, living situations, uh, breweries, distilleries, all kind of moving in and giving new life to all of this. And so you have this this pretty pretty big building overall that on one section you have sort of uh, like quick serve tacos and then a great bar program. And then you have sort of a, a Vivier is more of like a like a market that also still has a, a bar and, and food items. Yeah, and then, kind of a dayside cafe kind cafe. of. Yeah. yeah. And then you go around the corner and then you have the, the Escondido room. For people that, you know, either live in the area or might be traveling through, uh, is this like a set it up ahead of time and come in with a group? Is it a ticketed thing? Is it just show up if you want to try and learn more? So it's a little bit of both. I think what uh, we've decided to – it works both ways in the sense here. Uh, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're open at 6 p.m. for a, for a farm-to-glass experience. It's about a 90-minute experience. I sell tickets online for it up to eight seats. So people can buy individual seats or they can buy a group up to eight. And the goal is to literally have that room for your group or, or, in, or these individuals to do that whole presentation. Then after that 90 minutes is up, usually I will open the doors uh, and people can wander in. You don't 
at that point, it's more of a lounge. You can come in and just get a single pour of something. You can do a whole flight board if you want and go through a process with us, but it's also just a place to hang out, have cocktails, awesome. and or pours of spirits. Um, we really do focus more on the pours, but the reality sure. is you. So it's kind of a blend. I don't really know how to say it. Uh, if you don't, honestly, if you didn't buy a ticket and you were in the neighborhood on a Thursday at, and you went back there at 6 o'clock and I had an extra couple of seats, I'd be like, get in here. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, so it's it's sort of a mix of the two. It really is just a, a, an absolutely beautiful room. And I love anywhere in this city, or I would say when we travel, I love anywhere where you can go where you can you could believe, if you closed your eyes for a second, you could believe that you were in any number of other places. Like any place that takes you out of the, whether it's crazy or mundane or anything in between of your normal life and gives you that moment of respite and gives you that, hey, this is something different and I'm just going to focus on this right now. Those experiences have become so much more valuable to me every year that goes by where that's what I want to do is I want to go, I want to go somewhere. I want to learn something. I want to experience something awesome and I want to feel like, holy shit, like I can't believe this is in my neighborhood. Well, most people walk in too. They, they, they walk in the room and they're sort of like, what, what, wait, what is this? Kind of <laughs> look around like, this is, this is what, what's going on. In here? Yeah, and then exactly. you give them the spiel and you're like, okay, well, hold on. Okay. Let's go in and, and try it out or hang out. And so, I mean, don't get me wrong. Maybe they're being Minnesota nice, but I think most people genuinely walk in the room and they're sort of surprised that the room is there. Yeah. Right. And they're yeah. kind of like, Oh shit. What? This is way different than what's out here. I, I, that's how I reacted the first time I saw it. Like it, it really is. It's, it's perfect. And you get the vibe. Like, the minute I saw it, I'm like, oh, I totally understand this whole thing right now. And I love yeah. that. Yeah, I have a lot of friends who've been to the cafe many times and had no idea anything was behind that curtain. There have been times where I just kind of, like, pull it to the side and they're like, what the fuck? There's an entire <laughs> bar in this little room? Well, and It's an we, entire universe. <laughs> we talked about it on the last episode, but we have this massive outdoor art festival called Art of World here in Minneapolis, which I believe is still the biggest art festival in the world, in the country. It is the uh, most attended art festival in the history of human civilization. There we go. So <laughs> while we were Don't there... Don't well. While we were there, we, we, talked to, we talked to Todd a little bit uh, about coming on the show and, and that kind of stuff. And just in that conversation point, the amount of people that walked over and like looked over all of our shoulders just to see what was going on in that room, it was like it kind of let me understand like, oh, yeah, you guys everybody out there feels, for a little bit. Yeah. yeah, random people kept coming up, and that was my hope. And that was the point. Yeah, absolutely. I just talked to somebody last night um, uh, at a different bar, and he has been in Vivir many times. And he's like, I've been, what are you talking about? And then yeah. I said, when you're standing at the counter ordering your coffee, just look to your right. Yeah. And he's like, right. <laughs> like, oh, I've seen that, but yeah. I've never looked at it. Yeah. So, That's anyway. great. Oh, I love that. Uh, so you, you gave us a pour already. Do you want to speak to that? Sure. I can speak to it. So um, we, this is a pour from, so one of the things about Mezcal, uh, it comes from all, every state in Mexico makes, in agave spirit, but agave spirits kind of have denominations of origin. Uh, well, not kind of, they do. They have denominations of origin, so they have protected names. They have rules, so kind of like champagne can only come from that region of France. These have these follow certain rules as well. Um, the state of Jalisco is a tequila state, and mm -hmm. so um, most of the products coming out of Jalisco that we get, uh, at least in Minnesota, are tequila fashion products. Um, in other words, they say tequila on the label. They have to follow certain rules. This is actually from the state of Jalisco, and it is not a tequila. Um, it is technically not also a Rosia, 
Um, that is another denomination of origin that comes out of there as well. Um, so if you're making a product in a certain state that doesn't follow certain rules or norms, you, you, you can't put tequila or mezcal on the label. You have to just say destilado de agave or 100% agave. And this is a particular family from Jalisco, uh, the Partida family. And they produce a lot of different products, all from a specific species of plant called the Angustifolia, which is a cousin or technically related to the tequila plant. Um, they just have, um, and, and because they're in Jalisco, they can't call it mezcal and they can't call it tequila because they don't use the tequila plant, which is mm. the tequileña plant. Um, so the one we poured up today is uh, called Lienio, and it is basically an Angustifolia. So uh, that plant itself um, is related to the tequila plant. It's related to the espadine. Um, it is a plant that um, is probably, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't even know the lifespan on it, but I think it's about between six to ten years. Mm. Um, so the point of kind of the agave spirits in general, so if everybody doesn't know, it's not an annual plant. It's a, it's a, it takes a, a long time for these plants to mature. We don't want to harvest them until they mature, until they get to a certain point so that we can get the most sugars out of them. So I, uh, this is probably six to ten years before it gets to that point of harvest of harvesting. Um, this is um, essentially, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to guess on the taste profiles because just, we just got this in the market of Minnesota, so it's brand new for us. Um, I think it's a good example of... Well, more mezcal than tequila, to be honest with you. Yeah, let's sip it together, and then we can talk about the flavors, and then we'll jump into the question, if that sounds right. First, The first question. Oh, man. There, there's, like, a savory line that goes right through the middle of that. But there's also, like, a... My mouth is watering, like, there's a, like the way it does with citric acid as well. There's a, kind of a grapefruit pith and yeah. a great grapefruit peel to it. Yeah. You know what? It, honestly, what it for sure. it reminds me a little bit of of using like um, I always add a few drops of like um, like a, a MSG solution into like a like a margarita or anything sour, and that that's what it reminds me of. Mm. Where it's yeah, like the back of my tongue is both sweet and savory. The front of my tongue is like vegetal, and then a little bit sweet. That's really fucking So good. what I love about this is exactly what you're saying. There's multi-layers to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You get a front, back, middle kind of thing or, or yeah, start, absolutely. middle, finish. And I think that's why, that's why we, we kind of lean or love mezcal in certain fashions because of that. Um, because yeah. it's a little more complex than tequila. A lot of complexity. Man, um, so be, coming from the state of Jalisco, they've been doing this for a long time. They just technically are not a tequila. And I think that has lots of different flavors in a, than a classic tequila. Yeah, Absolutely. That's that's fucking great. Our uh, friend friend of the podcast, uh, Tyson Schnitker, owner of Skullven, was just in Mexico, and he was sending me photos of agave lists at bars, and he'd say, these guys don't know what anything is. They just hand you the menu. They won't interface with us. He's like, what would you drink? And so I was just taking my phone and circling the things that I would drink. Oh. I just gave him, like, a kind of a quick uh, explanation of certain things like uh, – you know, just things to kind of like excite him. Like our Aquino can be up to 40 years old before it's harvested. And he's like, holy shit, I didn't know any of this stuff. But that's exciting. Like people don't always look at that. They just look at whether it says like Satol or Ricea or Mezcal. They don't look at, you know, the, the genus of the plant itself. Correct. And I, a lot of things we talk about in Escondido is I think 
um, you can parallel wine. Absolutely. Um, so I think you can say, hey, do you buy your wine by a by the grape or do you buy it by the brand? Yes. And if you're buying a Pinot Noir because you love Pinot Noir, then you're paying attention to the grape. And mm-hmm. yeah, you might have a brand you love, but you're actually going to look for, or a producer you love, but you're going to look for that Pinot Noir. So, and then you're also going to look for it regionally. Correct. You're going to look for a, a Willamette versus a French. And, you know, and so I think that Mezcal follows that extremely well. And, um, and the length of time of the plant plays into that, but also the, where it's from, how it's produced, all this thing. So I try to tell people a lot when they shop mezcal at the liquor store, like pick the bottle up and read that label. Yep, and right. if you don't understand the label, I get that, but start to like pay attention to what's in the bottle. Let's pick up um, some kernels of information. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've, just we've, find what you might like or enjoy. I yeah. think all of us have found a plant that we, uh, you you initially try and you're like, oh Jesus, this is this is amazing. This is a, what is this plant? Mm. And then you've and you start to go down that path. I know Nick is a is a Mamarata guy, uh, and he's like, I'm going to drink this. This is what I love. And then he started drinking Karwinski a little bit, <laughs> and then he's like, I don't know if he's willing to accept that yet. <laughs> well, that actually, that segues perfectly into the first question. Yeah. So uh, we are all spirits devotees. We all have things that we really, really love. Um, do you remember what was the first, oh, this is mine? Like, I finally, like, you may have already liked that spirit before. You may have already liked that beverage. But then you found the thing that it hit your palate so perfectly that you're like, this is mine. And then all doors after were opened. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you know what that was for you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it was uh, a plant called the Tepestate plant, mm-hmm. um, which is a, the species Mamarata. Um, am I correct to say that? Yeah, that's the species Mamarata. And so Tepestate uh, is... Um, 20 to 35 year old plant. Um, it is something that tends to be very herbal and minerally. Um, it depending on how it's produced. If you produce it in copper, you get a lot of higher acetone or not acetone, but acid notes, acidity notes, bright notes. If you produce it in clay, it gets a little bit more earthy, but I think tepestates were an amazing plant that, that is to this day, I think that I probably could blind taste test, but I don't know. Sure. Um, it just has a, a specific note to it that I'm like, that's there's tepestate in there. So if you make an ensemble mezcal or whatever, I think that if there's tepestate in there, it can usually pick that out. Um, but that was my very first. Oh. For sure, it was tepestate. How, how, how long ago was that for you? Uh, it was the first trip I went to Oaxaca in 2015. And I was at a place, uh, we went to a distillery about five, six hours up in the mountains outside of Oaxaca City called uh, Mezcal Tospa. And we spent the weekend there. And they had Espadín, Tobola, and Tepestate. And we got to help load the ovens. We got to help unload the ovens. We got to help crush the plants. We we drank a lot of Mezcal. They had a band for us. We ate a lot of food. It was just one of those long weekends at this really small distillery up in the mountains. And uh, But I remember trying the Tepestate, and I still have about uh, <laughs> an inch in my bottle that yeah. I brought back from 2015. Um, and it's it was just super green and very vegetal. Awesome. And it was one of those things where I was like, I didn't know mezcal could taste. I, it was one of those things where yeah. I didn't know. And then I tried it. And the guy that took me there, he just looked at me and goes, yeah, that... We all kind of love the tips. Right? <laughs> so and being, I'm like, it's you're amazing. You're being very you know? Minnesotan about it, and no one can have the last serving. 
So. Um, no one's going to have Yeah, I will have it. <laughs> yeah. At some point, I will pour it and be like, oh, I remember those days. That was yeah. 2015. Right. Um, I have other Tepestates now that I think are just as good. But that was that first one. Yeah, of course. Know, yeah. Like, no, I'm with you on like, it. Oh, yeah, memory is tied to that. Always remember that one. So. Sure. <laughs> Charles, what's, what's yours? Well, I'm going to take this a, a, an entirely different direction um, in, in regard to, like, I mean, I love all alcoholic beverages. I, I drink everything. But my first love of alcoholic beverage, like most young men, was drinking macro lagers. Mm -hmm. So I drank macro lagers when I was a teenager. That's what teenagers do. And then I started drinking Jack Daniels, and then I grew up. But there was a period of my life, my most of my adult life, where I went away from drinking American lagers. It's just I, I developed a taste for what was new and interesting and fun and the entire new wave of American craft beer and all the flavors that came with that. And that became sort of an ick, right? Like there's a lot of people who said, don't drink that stuff. It's not good. It's got beaver bladders in it. Doesn't taste good. It'll make you feel bad in the morning, everything in between. In recent years, I feel like I fully graduated uh, or recessed, whatever you want to call it, devolved and now all I want to drink when I want to drink beer is a High Life or a Coors Banquet. Uh, we're drinking some lager right now mm -hmm. alongside our, um, our agaves. It's the Falling Knife Freyschutz North German uh, Pilsner. It's a fantastic beer, but at my house, most days I just have a fridge full, especially in the summer. It's funny that in the summer, High Life's the beer. In the winter, it's more a Coors Banquet. But, mm. uh, in the summer, I always have a fridge full of High Life and... Uh, That's the marketing campaign of, of yeah. Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors. They just go, let them just go play around. Mm -hmm. They'll be back. They'll be back. <laughs> the, they always yeah. come back. That's that. They're just like, whatever, man. You guys go have fun for a few years. It's salient, <laughs> and the market research bears that out, which is why they stopped fighting the uphill battle of trying to compete with craft breweries is they discovered that people like me who are on sort of the forefront of that marketplace and many marketplaces where I'm trying things that – People will be trying soon. It's also part of what I do for a living, doing market research in the areas of food and beverage. They started to see that those people were kind of coming back home. You yeah. know, we're all prodigal sons and daughters. And that bared out with me and it's bearing out with a lot of people that guess what? You can you can trust it. It's it's simple and enjoyable. It's great when it's cold. I actually just ordered some uh, nice insulated metal a uh, 12-ounce bottle oh, yeah. Jerseys to <laughs> use with my high-life bottles because this time of year, you're like, oh, shit, it's getting warm, and then you drink it chug, chug, chug. and you didn't even want the last third, and then you go get another one, and the first two-thirds are fantastic. But I was like, am I getting old, or was this always a good idea? I actually asked Brett Splinter about that today. I texted him. I said, am I getting old, or was this always cool to have, like, a metal insulated koozie for your high-life? <laughs> I mean, literally... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was say, the... I went to a Twins game uh, a couple weeks ago, and, you know, you get a can that's like a like a liter can of beer. And I was like, ah, you know, it's going to be warm by the time I get down to here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can I just get a, a smaller one? And that's got to be because I'm getting old. I guess I don't know, but I'm also just like, I just want it cold the whole time. You know, they just don't <laughs> want you to get out of your seat. Right. That's yeah, why they exactly. give you the big can. They, you know, they're like, just drink 16 ounces of that and come back. Right. Hey, if it's warm and you dump it out, then you're going to pay us for another 16. <laughs> right, right exactly, yeah. Uh, bef <laughs> before we started recording, um, Ian, we were talking about uh, getting a little high at concerts. And uh, this last fall, I was in L.A. for a tribute show, and it was, Forum was sold out. And it was 
half an hour in the beer line, and I got got all the way up there. I ordered my Coors Light, and it was twenty two dollars, and it was a giant can, but it was twenty two fucking dollars for a Coors Light. And my Minnesota brain was like, oh absolutely not. We are not doing this. And I was trying to figure out, like, okay, this is going to be a long show. What am I? Ah, I had these little three milligram Altoids in my yeah. pocket. And so what I did was I just took a couple sips of beer and then I just started popping mints and I rode this really beautiful high for pretty much the whole show. And by the time I got so parched that I didn't care if my beer was warm, I could just chug the rest of it. And then I had bought the first round. So my friend Nick, shout out to Nick, was on the second one. And then there was a really adorable old guy that was by himself at the show next to us who got me a water. And I'm like, well... That just takes care of that. <laughs> and I, I just popped my little mints. My breath was minty fresh. But it really was like, it was hilarious to think that after all these years, that first sip of the second cold Coors Light was the most refreshing sip of beer I could think of. <laughs> and I worked for craft breweries that made really good beers for like eight years. Did you ever think when you were in your early 20s that you'd be paying $1.50 a sip for Coors Light? I did, definitely did not. <laughs> I, like, the fact that even now I couldn't comprehend, like, the fact that I got on a plane to fly to another state to go to a show, and I, the, the problem wasn't the plane ticket or anything. No, you spent more money. The yeah. sticker shock was the fucking Coors Light. Um, but for, for my answer, uh, we've talked about this spirit on this show before. But uh, I got brought to a distillery in New Richmond, Wisconsin, for work, and uh, we were they were showing us how they um, co-pack for some other people. They they do bottling for a lot of stuff, but one of the products at this place was Gamla Ode Akavit, which is something that is is absolutely a part of of my family and my culture. Um, it's something that I really enjoyed. But I had really only had a very, very, like, caraway forward, your typical, like, rye celebration Akavit. Mm. And uh, we went into, like, their tasting room, and the owner busted out a new product that was coming out at the time, and it was their dill Akavit. And I had never had an herb, and on my palate, dill expresses itself with some savory notes as well. So it opened up this whole new flavor palette to me that I didn't know existed um, because, A, I wasn't very, I wasn't really pushing to know more about the spirit. But then on top of it, at the time, we really didn't have anything outside of the centuries-old um, Akavit that, that is known worldwide, the Linnies and the Arburgs and all that. Yeah. But um, that the, the thing for me is it first ignited a new passion in... Akavit for me, which I'm still chasing. I'm still trying stuff. The last bottle that I Minnesota bottomed, I left that one little ounce left forever, was um, it was Akavit aged in Mezcal barrels. It was called Mezcavit. Oh. Okay. And I could not bear knowing that I drank. I literally had the last bottle on earth. And knowing that once I had that, it was just gone. Yeah. I had a really tough time with that. But eventually, I just said, it's better to savor it now than to have it maybe oxidize. It's there to be drunk. So, it's there to be drunk, I mean, and you know what? There's not going to be a better moment than appreciating it right now and having that memory. If you go to my basement, everything in my basement is there to be drunk, except for maybe one or two bottles. Yeah, and that's how the reality is. That that's how my 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 liquor area is at home as well. Uh, I I would prefer we we talk about it a lot. Celebrate everything, you know. Just there's never going to be a better time than sitting with your friends right now and saying, "I care about you. Let's sip on this together." But the reason that I I I love thinking about that moment of the first time that I had 
fresh dill akavit was not just what it did for my love of akavit but for what it did for the way that i build cocktails so all of a sudden now all the shrubs i made weren't just fruit forward with vinegar now it was fruit plus vegetable or fruit plus herb had to be something fresh and green in there and the way that each one of those then expressed themselves it allowed me to start understanding some of these plants and some of these vegetables and how much I had been missing from my own palate. You know, I had been walking past the 128 crayon box with the shaver because I had 16 in my hand. And it's like, no, there's so much more that you can do. And all it takes is just trying some stuff and figuring out what you like. And maybe you don't love everything, but at least if you're thinking about it consciously as you're drinking it, then you're learning a little bit. And I, Learning what I don't like is just as important as learning what I do like. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And anything that can take you on that, that journey, I think, is what, worthwhile. For sure. For sure. And as you age, too, I think your palate changes. So oh. you find things you, yeah. like I wouldn't, like you mentioned uh, Jack Daniels. Yeah. I mean, that was, yeah, Jack and Cokes, man. I drank those when I was a lot younger, and they were terrible, but that's just what I didn't oh, know yeah. any different. So I was just like, okay. And, um, and now I, there's just better whiskeys out there to yeah. have and so yes we have so many more toys <laughs> absolutely well should we uh cheers yeah, cheers Boop. i'll tee up that is next. fascinating yeah. i am kind of just in love with how crazy that is it's a it's a cool drink i think i think it's yeah. a really fun one to have so should we uh kwame you want to help tee up the next yeah, I can do that. Case what um, I will what should we pour next? Which of the bottles? Yeah. Let's do... Uh, it's, should we jump to... I, I don't even know. There, there are hidden bottles here. Yeah. We got bottles on the side of chairs. We got two over I know, there. It's I'm like sorry, yeah. fucking Roy Kent up in this we're bitch. We're looking at different places. So, yeah, let's... <laughs> <laughs> let's do this one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll pass you. So... Actually, you know what? Uh, do you want me to tell you what it is? Or yes, yeah, please, please do. Okay. So we're going to leave the state of Jalisco, and we're going to go to um, the state of San Luis Potosí. So San Luis Potosí is um, a state that has a lot of plants that are uh, called Selmiana plants. That's kind of their go-to production. Um, so before we had uh, something from Jalisco, and a lot of Jalisco is the tequileña plant or the tequila plant, and then um, what we had was an Angustifolio-related plant. Now we're going to move into San Luis, and Selmianas are um, a longer-growing plant. Uh, again, we're pushing 20 years probably on this plant. Um, if you've ever had a fermented beverage called polke, that comes from this plant. Oh, rad. Um, and it is also, uh, the state of Guanajuato has a lot of these plants. Um, it's just sort of center, just north of Mexico City. Um, I was lucky enough to go to San Luis Potosí in March and visit a couple places. Um, what we're drinking is the Rumbes, and it is not. I did not visit this particular place, but I visited a couple other ones that are similar to this. The interesting part about this is most mezcals are cooked. We cook the plant under. Well, we cook the plant to convert the starches to sugars. Um, to get a fermentable sugar, uh, fructose. And this is actually cooked above ground in a stone oven with, um, with uh, steam heat. So mm. normally we cook a lot of mezcals. The one you first tasted or we first tasted 
was cooked underground with wood fire heat. So we should get a little bit of kind of just some some char taste, some 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 of that what we recognize to come with mezcal. This uh, I think should be a little bit more uh, vegetal and and other types of notes because it's cooked with steam heat above ground. And I'm gonna be honest, I. This says uh, above ground stone oven with quiote. Um, I did not know that. Mm. So quiotes are the, when the plant tries to reproduce, it's going to grow a quiote out of it, uh, a stalk, and that stalk is going to flower. Quiotes are very fibrous and somewhat bitter. And so to cook with that quiote is you're going to keep this, these fibrous notes. You're going to keep sort of some bitter notes that should come along with mm. it. Um, I'm not saying that's what we'll all get to taste, but it should be in there a little bit. So uh, I just learned something new. Is that with, oh yeah, there we go. Oh yeah. Looking Nick's at it right now. Nick's got one on his arm. So, on his arm. Basically it's, it's just a stalk that grows out of the center where the flower, uh, where the, where the seeds come from. It's how it reproduces. Um, the plant does die after it grows the quiote. Um, it, um, but it, it, so our goal is to harvest it before it, before it grows a quiote. So is that, is maybe that stock bitter because it's kicking what sugars are left in that up to the flowers to try and attract pollinators and go that route? Or I think it's like a, think of it like a, um, and I, so I don't know technically, yeah, no, I, but I do know that, uh, think of it like a, um, like a fruit or whatever on the, like, let's say an orange. The outside of the orange is very sweet. If you just squeezed an orange and drank it out of your, it's sweet. But if you started chewing on the, like the center or the, sure. or the, pe- uh, the pith yes. of it, it starts to get more bitter and fibrous and things like that. So that I think sense. it's similar to that where cool. you're going to just get these, um, those notes are going to come along because that's what mm. the, the, probably where the plant is trying to do all of its reproduction parts. Sure, sure. But the also, um, I do know that in, Tequilas, a lot of times they cut the center of that plant out when they go to cook it because they don't want that bitterness. They okay. don't want any of that to come. That wax also is waxy as sure. cold, so I you don't want that. any of that in there. You're going to try to remove it. So here we are. All right. Cheers. Oh, yeah. That is, mm-hmm. yeah. That yeah. is wildly different. There's Personally, I don't get any smoke at all or any char at mm-hmm. all. It's more of a. I mean, cheesy, sweet kind of. That vegetal's right there, too. Yeah. Yeah, so for maybe for somebody who's a little bit new to Mezcal, that this would be a, a good way to, to kind of push that. I could, I could absolutely see that. I think that's a, that's a short jump from if you've had Blanco tequilas that don't have 1% of the syrup poured into it, <laughs> if it's actually just a straight tequila, I think that's a pretty easy jump to make. Uh, from there, For you still sure. get some sweetness. For sure. Definitely get some of that sort of grassy vegetal side. God, it almost has a creamy mouthfeel to mm-hmm. me, too. So, versus like a, like you said, the first one had more of a salinity to, or yeah. a salty yes. syrup. Yep. This does, I don't think this has that. No, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, and I do get that perceptible bitterness as well. Yeah. Kind of finishes. I like that. Fingers on your palate. All right, topic number two. Oh, yeah. Todd, how far is too far to go for something that you really want? What's the thing you go the distance for most in your life? <laughs> if not the obvious answer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Um, God, I look back on things and uh, repeat how far is too far? Is that what you're asking? Like what's, 
Not necessarily. You could. I mean, you could qualify that there's a distance you won't go for something, but yeah. what is the what's the thing that you will go any distance to? To the ends of the earth. And, like, do. how far of a distance is that okay. to acquire, yeah. So I don't – as I started to get into Mezcal, it really um, – it became a, a kind of a passionate thing for me. And that might be the first – so I've always – growing up, I always was kind of into sports and kind of did things, but I never really – gave a shit if I won. I just loved playing the game. And this, I'm a latchkey kid, so my parents were never at anything. It's just, I didn't, I wasn't like, like, we need to put you through it. You know, you need to go play this sport every single day. I wasn't that person. I just did, I just did stuff. Um, I was an out, I never wasn't a gamer, so I've always been outdoors. So I just kind of had this thing. So I never really kind of cared about like going to be the best in anything. But when I found Mezcal, that kind of started to create this, like, wow, I'm really interested in more than just the spirit itself. And it sort of opened up some, some, just some things that I, uh, like, I ask more questions. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. So I, 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 I ask a lot of stupid questions, and I say, and I repeat those questions, and I say, how do I, how do I get to that point? How do I go? So I think because... Maybe this is a really wrong way to answer this question, but I think um, this spirit has kind of trended me towards um, traveling and doing and asking, and my goals have have far exceeded what I thought I would do. I've always sort of, I've had multiple careers in my life, and I think I've always sort of moved from one to the next after a certain set time. I don't see myself moving away from this one, um, I see myself trying to continue to expand it and, and, and move to the next step within this spirit, whether that be, I don't know what it's going to be, but that's kind of what I believe to be. So the answer is probably nothing. I mean, my goal is going to continue to yeah. ask those questions and try to learn more. I'll never know everything about this spirit because I'm a gringo from the North and let's be honest, I'll always be learning. Um, and that's sort of the fun part. Yeah. Um, also a really healthy way to look at that. Yeah, I mean, my hope is that um, when I, yeah, I t- I'll just never learn it all. Um, and that just goes beyond the drink and to the culture and the, all the people and friends I meet. I'm just sort of like, let's keep, let's keep talking about it and keep going down and trying to continue. Now, let me, the, the joke here is uh, that me and my wife will not drive more than four hours to get to somewhere. <laughs> I okay. love that. So that is probably a hurdle or an answer, answer your question is <laughs> To answer your question, in reality, it's four hours. Yeah, four in hours a, is a too far. Then I have to be in a plane. Oh, I love that. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know why I think, but um, yeah, I don't know. That was a rambler, that. but that was what it was. <laughs> <laughs> yep, you learn and you learn and you learn and then you die. That's like one of my tenets in life. I heard that in a speech Fuck once. Yeah. And no matter what it is that you're pursuing that is infinitely true for all of us. And I wish more people maintain that perspective because firstly, there are no more masters. People don't really study things the way that they once did, but also being able to say, even if you're at the highest level of achievement for whatever it is that you're, you're efforting to understand, if you can still say there's more to learn that's how you'll learn more than anybody else is when you say, I have so much more to learn all the way until the end of the road. Yeah. I mean, I, I was just down in, in February um, in Oaxaca, and I went to a producer, and she told me some things that I had never heard before. Yeah. And I was like, 
wait a minute, wait a minute. And so I kind of clarified with her and I said, so you do it this way. And now a lot of times producers will say, I do it the right way. Everybody else does it the wrong way. But, yeah. but she was like, no, I do it this way because of this result. And I was like, Jesus, I had not heard that before. That's amazing. Mm. That's thank you. That's amazing to hear that. Hell yeah. And so it was one of those things where I was super happy to, again, I just learned something new. I was just like, man, this is a great trip. Yeah. This, pro- this made sense now. So. And actually that refers specifically to that point, but in a, another uh, fashion in that, People are unafraid to admit if they don't understand something and they lose an opportunity to learn. It's a learning opportunity. Yeah, I course. always like to admit when I don't know something because it's a learning opportunity. If I don't know, I want to understand. Yep. I don't want to pretend I know something and then never learn what the truth is behind it. And you learn an entirely new process because you were willing to admit to somebody that even though you come from some sort of a position of authority, that you didn't fully understand what it was that she was saying and she was able to expound on what, her process is so that now you understand that process. And it also taught me how to ask that question to maybe another person yeah. too. Yeah. To be like, hey, listen, I was told by this person this is how they do this or this. And then that person now can expound on it even more. And I can be like, oh, wait a minute, they're contradicting. It just, it just, it's just interlocking. Like I can continue to kind of be like, oh, I can piece together what all these people are saying and learning. Yes. So yeah, I, I, that's always going to be my case. So I've, Anytime that anybody says jack of all trades, master of none in an insulting way, I'm always like raising an eyebrow at him. Like, what are you talking about? Because that just says that you're well-rounded and you're interested in a lot of things. I think it's very strange when people view that as a, a detriment. I guess going back also to the fact that I don't believe that anybody is a, a master of anything. I just want to keep learning stuff. Fewer and fewer. Yeah. Anyways, right? Like master watchmaker, things like that. Well, and you can't like talk to him and then know how to make a Swiss watch from scratch. Like I'm saying, even (laughs) someone who achieved that, that level of mastery, it's just, we don't really go to those extents societally and, and as a species anymore. Also, I want to point out that someone gifted me, speaking of things that I didn't know until recently, someone gifted me a term for the Jack of all trades, master of none. Juan Turan, who uh, is a, a person that works here at Club Caraway with us now. Uh, a couple months ago, he and I were having a discussion about like how we have our fingers in a lot of things because I'm not just a creative director. I do a lot of different things. And he said, well, we're uh, multi-potentialates. Multi- it's called multi-potentialate. <laughs> I should double check, but Love I was it. like, I've never heard that. And he's like, yeah, that's like a phrase used to describe somebody who seeks knowledge in uh, multiple areas, which is perhaps a new term, but it's also more modern because we used to have specializations. If you're a cobbler, you did every fucking thing you could do to understand how to make the perfect shoe. And that's almost all you cared about. And then you like had a family and ate a meal and went to sleep. But now a lot of people are like me or probably like both of you gentlemen and that we seek to understand and even have vocations or businesses that uh, are, are in various different areas of interest. And due to that, it's that jack-of-all-trades, air quote, uh, effect that it's a multi-potential that you're trying to learn I'm in. a bunch of different areas. I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm adopting that. Also, just another reason to dislike one, because as I told his uh, fiancé... <laughs> He's not allowed to be my height and that good looking 
and then also <laughs> dressing that well and now apparently coming up for terms that make me feel good about how I live my life. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, all right, there's going to be a Highlander situation, Juan, and I'm <laughs> sorry, but I'm probably going to win because you don't know what's coming. Okay, confirmed. <laughs> Multi-potentialate. I love it. I'm taking it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for me, I think it's that having live music taken away during COVID, it's unlocked or cracked something in my brain where... You know, I we've also my wife and I have also continued to grow our lives and to be a little bit more financially settled. So it opens doors that maybe wouldn't have been open five or ten years ago. But um, I'm not waiting to see the bands that I love anymore. Uh, you lose a few heroes that you never got to see, and you realize how many bad bands you've gotten to see. Or at least for me, like as a live music junkie, it's really hard to know that I spent, you know hundreds of dollars on dozens of terrible shows that I'll never remember. But then I pretended maybe a decent band, but it was at a bad venue with bad yeah, sound and horrible sound or it was, sound, or it like, was oh, over, oversold. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. so many things that can go wrong, yep. but then I would use that money as an excuse not to overspend whatever my budget was in my head to go see people who have completely changed my life, mm-hmm. my life. And now since COVID well, I mean, it's still going on, but since bands have started touring again, I've just fallen into this sweet spot of, I don't care if I have to travel for the show, I'm going to the show. Uh, as I just referred to earlier, I was in LA for a show in September, I'm flying to Atlanta for a show in October of this year, and I'm really excited about that, because not only do you get to see a band that you really, really love, this will be a band I haven't seen in 24 years, who uh, just got the rights to their masters back, so they're rocking out. Love you, Marvelous Three. But uh, <laughs> but then on top of it, I like the I like going to a different city or a different country and seeing how concerts work. I like seeing how the crowd is. I like seeing not not person to person to person, but how the people as a singular. How are they? in response to the band. How do they deal with everybody going in a couple doors and getting ID'd? What's it like in the bar line? Do people talk loudly before the show? Do people talk loudly during the show? Like the more that I travel, the more that I realize like it's all over the place and you kind of got to figure it out. And I really love that. So on the front end, it's just scratching that musical itch that I'll never ever stop looking for. But then on the, the bigger piece, it's like a better... Sort of like we talk about loving to go to grocery stores when you travel, because especially if you're in a different country, you get a better idea of like how normal life is. And I feel like you get to know what it's like to be somebody living in that city when you go to a show with people from that city. And I I love that whole experience. I, uh, um, I don't know how, I know, I mean... I'm not sure how everybody travels. I personally travel to, I'm a traveler and so is my wife. We go to cities and we go to eat and we go to see the city. So we're not necessarily um, nature travelers. We're more of city travelers. Um, But I was in um, Chicago uh, a few years ago uh, for an event which, weirdly enough, was a Mescal event. But, um, it's very but th- weird. Th- yeah, it is weird. It is I, odd. I was just like, all right, I'll fly there. But at any rate, Riot Fest was happening. And so, yeah. Fuck, uh, yeah. So I didn't go to Riot Fest at the park, but I went to the Double Door. Uh, Hell yeah. Uh, which isn't there anymore. I know. RIP. Um, great little venue to see music at, by the way. And uh, I think the Abbey's gone, too. 
I, I think it is too. God yeah, damn it. For sure. Uh, so I think that, uh, and so I saw this band from LA called the Bronx and they, Fuck yes! and they produced a, or they did a show in there and, and then this wasn't that long ago. This was 20, this is 20, I don't know, 16, 17. I don't even remember. Yeah. But the point was, is the place was packed and there was still like literally crowd surfing, stage diving. I was like, God, I remember first Avenue when they <laughs> used to do that. And now you can't do it at First Avenue anymore. They pull you down. You yep. can't do any of that. And and it was one of the more insane, fun punk shows that I've been to. I still got like six videos on my phone because I thought it was so much fun. I was like, God, yeah. this is like the this is what First Avenue should be. And I know it can't be anymore. I know it's right. not. But but I still am like I miss those days of the kind of the crazy nonsense. And I'm not even in it. I'm just standing back looking at it. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I thought was it, it? Did they did they just do a Bronx set or did they also do Mariachi? No, nope, just a Bronx. Oh, man. so it was. Uh, it was. They did a show earlier that day in the park for Ride Fest, and then that was their their night show. I've uh, I've still never caught Mariachi. I've only seen the Bronx. I've seen Mariachi, and I really Bronx. need to see Mariachi. Yeah. It's like for those of you that don't know, this is a punk band called the Bronx who. As the story I was told goes, uh, for Halloween, did a single show as a mariachi band mm. playing, literally like playing songs that they wrote in the tradition of mariachi songs in English in for English, the most yeah, part, yeah. Um, but involving a lot of those melodies. And it went over so well that they recorded an EP, and that's how I found them. They did a cover of I Will Die For You by Prince. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it is yeah. one of my favorite cover songs <laughs> yes. of anything yeah, on agree. earth. Yeah. Uh, and then that got so popular that now they've put out three studio albums for mariachi well, in addition to like four or five. And they've for big bands. The yeah. mariachi side. I mean, the, the, not the, necessarily the Bronx, but the mariachi band has opened for, Dude. I don't even, like, arena-type bands. So. The... the the musicianship that it takes to be able to put out both of those bands' catalogs is so wild to me, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, I, I just I love them. So if you need uh, if you need a little pickup, you should look up some Mariachi El Bronx, and after you'll be you'll be after the show. You'll after be quite show. happy. Yeah, check sure. out Forty Eight Roses. That song's a ripper. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I agree. It's they're definitely. <laughs> uh, Charles, what about for you? We all know what my answer is because I'm the fine dino on this program. You love sandals. I loved fuck. beach resorts. Beach resorts. <laughs> Old people falling in love. That is Cialis as far as the eye can see. Are you describing a Cialis commercial? I mean, basically, <laughs> look at a Sandals commercial and then look at a Cialis commercial and tell me there's a difference between the two. It's the same the fucking bathtub commercial. in the yard. Is That's the probably the. But you know what? They probably have side by side tubs on those cruises they, that take you to Sandals. They definitely do. This is just bowls of Cialis everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. oh, like candy. <laughs> one bowl for the keys, one bowl for the Cialis. Candy, candy necklaces that are just Viagra and Cialis. Holy you just chew shit. them as you go around <laughs> so i'm the fine dino on this program there's no distance that is too far for me to travel for a great meal um, i've flown and then trained and then driven into the hillside in spain to dine at a three michelin star restaurant our forthcoming trip that we're going on to europe Quam uh, will be on the leg where we're in copenhagen <laughs> new sounder new sounder <laughs> Charles, and I, Charles and I had some fun this weekend yeah. and uh, that was the uh, Shania Twain let's go girls sound yes. effect <laughs> let's go to Denmark <laughs> so Copenhagen's the first leg uh, Paris Paris is the second leg it's basically like 
the uh, world-class bakery world tour in effect. But for me, I'm always looking for that sort of Chen Kenichi, Iron Chef, RIP, by the way, he passed away two months ago, I found out yep. very recently, um, or like a Studio Ghibli, Spirited Away, sort of sense of uh, wonderment and mystery of a dining experience that feels like you're on another planet. So, of course, I will travel thousands of miles to experience something that feels like I've traveled to another planetary system. Mm -hmm. So beyond a shadow of a doubt, that that's my answer. And there is no distance that I wouldn't go. And I'm sure that as I move along in, in my adventures, I will go to greater and greater distances to access things that are more difficult to access. Um, I'm, yeah, I, I look forward to that pursuit. That's, it drives me. That's one of the things that I work as hard as I do to be able to gift myself in my life. That's recently someone in a friend chat was inquiring about the things that uh, we use our funny money for. And that changes as you grow. And for me, for a long time, it, it was, I, I think, the last year, my last generation or, or decade prior to the, I guess, decade I'm residing in now. It was primarily... It's his 40s. Pri primarily the pursuit... <laughs> it's primarily the pursuit of alcohol, like spirits, beer, yeah. wine, what have you. And I still enjoy those things, but I don't hunt them like I did before, particularly like the beer thing. I don't care about bourbon... Uh, obviously I still pursue like great agave and it's getting a little more accessible, but I'm not traveling to Mexico. Sure. Even I will yeah. do that as well. But now it's, uh, well, my funny money is traveling, going to uh, Chefs and great the, dining experiences. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely, I assume you've seen the movie, the menu. I haven't yet, and you're oh. probably the 119th person to ask me. Okay, so. well, when you watch it, uh, or I, I don't know, have you seen the yeah. menu? Okay, so I watched the menu, and I uh, immediately in my brain said, which character am I? Okay. So that's you're the question wrong. you need to ask yourself is when you're in, when you're watching the movie is, and I don't know, I don't know if other people did that, but to yeah. me, I was like, because <laughs> they have all sorts of characters. I'm mm -hmm. like, which one was I? I got to rip off the Band-Aid, I think. Cause it, you're, I mean, it's been out for a little while now, and someone just asked me on Sunday, and yeah. you're asking me today. Yeah, so for sure, yeah. It's just definitely... <laughs> if you're, if you're Because I've done this, too. I've gone and done food trips, too, and yeah. I've, I've been to French Laundry. Um, yeah. I've been to Pujol uh, and a few places where, you know, it's it's an event. Yeah. You're there for an event, yeah. and you're there for the, the tasting. And then watching the movie, I'm like, oh. Right, I, think, <laughs> I think I might be that guy. Oh, we made it. maybe we're the same guy. Fuck! Now I gotta. Now I gotta find out. I'll let you know. Right. I'll let you know next time I see you. I'm not gonna I say am. anything because I would be curious to hear your opinion. Like, uh, and then I'll hear your opinion. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's why I'm not gonna say mine either. You yeah. got to see the movie. Okay, yeah, and then we can have this discussion too. Which one you are? But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I am out. Should we pour? Uh, a different bottle? Yes. Should we do a little yeah. something of the same? We no, we have a lot of bottles down here. So, what do we, what are we thinking next? I got really, I got really excited about that last one and crushed that pretty quick. Mm -hmm. You know, what I didn't think about was that was that every time I hit that Shania Twain, Which the rest of the song yeah. continues to play in my head. 
Oh, and, yeah, and now, now we've stuck. now we've moved on to that. Don't impress me much. <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. so mortified of what this is going to do to my psyche. <laughs> all Twain all the time. By the end of this, I'll just be doing Brian White's Upper Harmony, and from this moment on, that's a deep cut, folks. <laughs> it's a deep cut. What? Are we, oh, what is this? Okay, so uh, I like when you bust out a bottle that I've never seen. I'm gonna have him. Okay, is it okay. I'm gonna have Here, Ian talk. Let's in the swing mic the microphone this around. This is Ian's. Yeah. Uh, Get over here. This is Ian. <laughs> so this is just. You uh, have to get close to that mic, yeah. Here we go. There we go. Yeah, scoot over, cutie. <laughs> this is basically my daddy of agave, so I'll just speak through him. Yeah. Um, agave in daddy is like the best uh, place in Oaxaca, I think, to go get like a tasting or a pour or anything. Um, there's a bunch of amazing mezcalerias all throughout Oaxaca, but this is the place where they go out and they source the best of the best. Like amazing. It just, you don't get better than this place. And so I'm a huge fan of just finding rare, weird, fucking stupid shit. Yeah. And so. should see uh, my music library. Yeah, right on. <laughs> um, I took my bachelor party down to Oaxaca and Nick accompanied that. You two are so fucking rad. I love that idea. It, it, dude, it was like one of the sickest trips in my entire life and taking the homies down there to be like, we're just going to go drink Mezcal for, you know, seven days straight. And they were like, yeah, okay. Like we understand you, you've been to this place once. What's so magical? And everyone got down there like, oh, oh. okay. This is the coolest place on earth. But, um, yeah, in C2, best mezcaleria, I asked for, like, something that was super out there and weird, and they were like, have you ever tried a Montana? Or I was like, no. I lived in Montana for a little while. I opened <laughs> up a couple of bars in Bozeman, which is super sick. Yeah. Um, and so, I, like, Montana's, like, home to me. Yeah. And so trying this, I was like, uh, yeah, anything. And they're like, it's called that because it can only reside up in the mountains. Sure. It can only exist, like, in a very, very, like, high space elevation. Mm. It's usually, like, 5,000 feet plus. Um, and so Temulipas, this is just northeast of where we just drank from San Luis Potosi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so starting kind of like moving a little bit close to where we were at. This is just one of those crazy plants that you don't see. Uh, it's very hard for it to exist because of the high elevation. Um, but because of that, uh, it takes a while to um, mature. But when it does mature, it has these like super, super psychedelic orange and red. And that's how you know it's like ready to like. That bouquet is wild. It's bonkers. It's oh fucking my God. insane. It's like, um, like bubblegum in there. It's yeah. so bubblegummy. It's Holy so shit. wild. It's one of the sweetest pours I've ever had. And I'm not like a sweet cocktail or like spirit drinker, but this is one of those ones that's like, why would you not? Oh, my oh God. Something shit. like this. That is fucking awesome. I just poured mine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're very rare. It's hard to grow, but it is like one of those bonkers pours. Um, and then just this last uh, spring, I went down to Nick's bachelor party, and then my wife and I bounced down to Oaxaca. We were in Sayulita, but bounced down to Oaxaca. She's like, you talk about this place so fucking much. Why is it so cool? Bounced down there. She was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> um, but we walked into in C2, and I walked in. He goes, ah, you, you look familiar. You are... You're the Montana guy. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. That's the shit right there. And it was just like, dude, my heart was like... Like, melting, because I, like, I got noticed at my favorite bar in the entire world. I was like, this is so cool. And then he poured me another Montana that they had and bought some other stuff there. But, yeah, in C2, Oaxaca, best fucking place to go buy a, a pour. And Ooh. then, yeah, the Montana, this one, high elevation, cool-ass pour. Yeah, it's bonkers. 
That's that. Yeah. I, if I've had this before, I don't recall it because this is amazing. It smells like a pink starburst or a super ripe papaya. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Good call on the papaya. Oh, I was trying to figure out where, where that, where Mm. there was a fruit note that I was missing and I was thinking jackfruit, but yeah. Ooh. It follows through in the flavor too. Like. Yeah. Super ripe Nick, papaya. Nick just said there's only like 20 bottles in this batch or wow. something. Wow. Like thank that. you for sharing. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. That is breathtaking. Dope. <laughs> Such crazy. <laughs> well, that's you, homie. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, left turn. We've talked about things that we, we will push ourselves to go see and do. Uh, my question is, and this could be a very legitimate like fear or a hilarious phobia. But is there anything that, that spooks you? Is there anything that, that gets you? Is there anything that gets you to freeze up or, like, really snakes. fucks with you? Snakes? Okay. Yeah. Like, all, all snakes? Any snake? I like how quickly that just yeah. came. Like, I'm, we're, in a, we're down in a... Like, spiders? I got no issues, man. If a spider fell on me right now, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Snakes? <laughs> yeah, I'd not like snakes. <laughs> yeah. you, do, you can't read a snake. You don't know what's going on, man. I mean, you can <laughs> if you're really good at, you know, the, I don't know, man. It's too late by the time you Yeah, you it exactly. <laughs> it's too late. You're already bit by then. Yeah. Know, so. Or they're just crawling on you and they're doing weird. Uh, hey, it wasn't friendly, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I know that this is like from the same meme series that got Trash Panda instead of Raccoon, but I do love a friend of mine when she was like, I don't know, eight, saw a meme and is also afraid of snakes. And to this day, now she's graduating high school right now, basically. Uh, she still calls snakes nope ropes. Yeah, nope ropes. And yeah. I think it's so fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. She's like, that's a hard no. That's a fucking nope rope. Yep. It is literally <laughs> named that as in do not touch this, do not play with this. <laughs> I, 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 weird. I have a picture in California. Uh, where was I? Uh, Sonoma. I was doing a wine tasting in Sonoma, and they had three, four Americana agaves growing out in the field. And with huge, like, 40-foot-tall quiotes, and I, I'm, do, I'm drinking my Chardonnay, and I said, um, I said I'm going to go look at your, I go, can I walk out and look at your agaves, uh, like, up close? He goes, yeah, just be careful of the nope ropes. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, no problem. <laughs> bring, bring, <laughs> and he, looked, he, he was surprised I knew what that meant. Yeah. I'm like, no, I, I know what it means, man. I know all about uh, fucking snakes man the fucking nope rope wins (laughs) i like that that's that's like a well-known thing now apparently that's that's amazing my so i have a i do have a cryptid story because i don't really i my best friend or one of my best friends who passed away a few years ago he was a big cryptid guy and he was a big bigfoot guy i have a cryptid story but i didn't know it was a cryptid story until i found out the thing that i saw doesn't exist but i was in the mountain village in tula i can't believe i'm telling this story because a bunch of people are gonna think i'm a psychopath, but I was in the mountains in Lebanon <laughs> in a little town called Tula. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And I saw a black snake across the road, like a, a large black snake, and it had a beard. It had a fucking beard. And turns out snakes can't have beards. It wasn't until much later that I was like, oh, okay, so what I saw can't exist. But I remember after that period, and people telling me that's not a thing that doesn't exist that I, I asked my mom about it. I said, I swear to you that when we were in Tula a couple of years ago, I was walking down the road with my cousin Victor and I saw a big black snake and it had a beard and she goes, Oh yeah, you see those up in the mountains sometimes. And I was like, that doesn't exist. It's just, there's, there's apparently a, um, a myth in China about snakes with beards, but it's very much a cryptid because it's not a thing that a snake can do. A snake cannot grow a beard. 
So that's my that's my cryptid story. Damn, are, does that freak you out, or are you just cool? Wait, with is it, it a, is it a snake eating an animal? And that this I have no idea, like but it, it looked like a black snake with a gray or white beard. Oh, what if he got stuck in a tumbleweed and just couldn't get it out because he doesn't have any <laughs> arms? <laughs> well, the way my exactly. mind works is that there was an explanation. <laughs> yeah, no, right? like yeah. there's got to be an explanation. Right. Yeah. But Mike was fascinated by that. I actually drew it for him on my iPad because he was like, "I want to see the drawing," and he's like, "Oh, you got to call one of those cryptid shows." I'm like, "Nothing happened. I just saw him, waved to him." And then wait really quickly in the other direction because he was a yeah. giant black snake. Um, I'm not afraid of snakes. I I don't have any tangible fears. I don't have like anything that mortifies me. I do have things that are that cause me anxiety or you know like the the kind of cheeky one, especially after talking about the menu that is probably well known to our listeners. Is I hate spoilers. Like I. Anything like I don't want to hear if you liked a show like I I absolutely hate that. In regard to something that is probably a little more personal, uh, and we've discussed this on the program as well, time and not yeah. aging, but I'm I'm working on my relationship with time. I feel <laughs> I feel like I have to fit so many things into the time that I have, sure. and sure. that means an hour, not the time that I have on this earth, but. I, I'm working on being better about not feeling like I have to maximize on every moment, every second. I, I hate sleep. I'm a, a, a night hawk early bird, and I pack in as many things into my life as I can, and I'm trying to cultivate more positive relationship with uh, being at ease and at peace with not being obsessed with the potential of a particular moment. I want to. I want to have more comfort with that. So that I would say that's something that scares me, but it's something that I'm working on. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can have detrimental side effects. It can affect my anxiety oh, and things like that. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I. I guess that that's that's what my answer would be. That's legit. Absolutely. I, th- I think that's something that I also struggle with. Yeah. I also struggle with like the greater idea of time. In that I never thought slash really believed that I was going to be around for like what we would call the later portion of our lives. And then things change and, and you you have things that you care about and you've put down roots and you find some home. And then now struggling with like, oh, we haven't, we haven't even started looking at writing those seasons of the show yet mm-hmm. is a little bit worrisome for me because there were always things that I wanted to do in the immediacy and now that I have a little bit more of a belief in like the future, yeah, it's it's hard to like process that and try and figure out how to wrap your head around unless like, unless you get canceled, yeah, not in like the you did something weird way, but in like your life is ended. Correct. And I honestly, kind of just always thought that's how it was going to go. Show got canceled. Yeah, like I was like, oh, eventually the viewers will get sick of this, and <laughs> 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 uh, but stupid shit. It, the the reason this question popped up. Uh, was because I do have a few bottles in my house that have pour spouts on them. And it's been a long time since I've been behind a bar. I haven't been actively working behind a bar on a regular basis in about nine years. And uh, we had a bunch of stuff out, and I was trying to find... It was a cover for a temperature probe. And so I was, like, looking around, and I was kind of feeling around, and I put my face down, and I got pretty close to a pour spout. And I have an, a 100% <laughs> legitimate fear of stabbing a pore spout through my eyeball. 
and it kicked in again. I have not been in that situation in many years. And I used to like, when I would drop something, like uh, I used to work at a very busy Irish pub. It's where I met my wife and I loved service well. Like, let me just bang out cocktails for 600 people on the patio. Let's go. And if I dropped something, I would do the most around about like bend backwards and then sideways to come in underneath so that I didn't even get near, I didn't even get my face near the pore spouts. And I have a scar on my leg. I have a scar on my arm from stabbing it through. I don't care about that. It's going straight through my eye. Have you taken a pore spout in the eye? I have not taken a pore spout in the eye. I had this, I had this fear before and I watched it happen (laughs) and that just, it, confirmed it it sealed Wait, it all you have an eye stuff thing because i could say that maybe is a, a thing that i i don't like eye stuff i'm not worried about necessarily my own eyes i will like, never own contacts because i don't put i have a tough in. time putting okay. eye drops in much less putting like a whole disc in my eyeball yeah i will wear glasses until i get lasik no, no lasik or no, uh, that, i'm LASIK. fine with that ah, all right i've i watched my wife do it it's fast enough i can deal with that but the poor spot through the eyeball thing man it it is mm. in my head it was the worst and then a uh, uh, good friend, coworker, and uh, we used to lie to everybody and tell people that we were cousins because our last name sounded the same, even though it was spelled different, went to jump to try and break up a bar fight. And he put his hand in the bar to jump over the bar, and it was oh, a wet bar, and he slipped, and he went face first into the bottles. And it, oh. thankfully, <laughs> it, not to, I know everyone just <laughs> winced on life. earth. <laughs> But um, thankfully, it didn't. It didn't go into his eye. It went into the side. But he had a damaged tear duct, and he had the the le chiv, uh like blood tears for a little while, while his body was trying to to heal from that. And blood tears is the name of my death metal band. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I would go to that show with well, Kevin. Just, <laughs> just, like, remember, remember the poor spot, remember. <laughs> because <laughs> i'm an awful human um but yeah it was like i remember watching it and my brain the first thing i thought was like i fucking knew it it's awful and that was i was in my i was probably 26 at that point and to this day the fact that nine years later i just had a couple poor spouts in because we had people over and i went to grab something and my face got near it and every alarm bell in my brain went off and i'm like what what are the the absolute insane odds that i would somehow impale myself in my own kitchen <laughs> while looking for a temperature but the fear is there and i couldn't explain it because i've again i saw it but i've had that fear for years beforehand so i don't know where that came from and the fact that it's no other body part it's just my eyeball mortifies me absolutely mortifies me <laughs> very very sane yeah. thought bottle snakes no probes no probes and bottle snakes. I would. That's the name of my like rockabilly punk band. I would one hundred percent go to that. I would not. I would pass on that show. Fair enough. <laughs> this is still just so good. I'm like savoring yeah, this, this each is little sip. Ridiculous. Yeah, I don't remember. Any, this is amazing. Pour. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The the beauty about NC2 is they literally buy directly from the producer. So you go there and it's all the same bottle, but these guys will direct you in such a cool way. This is also just, I didn't want to say this before, but I feel like we're at the point where we can share this as friends. This is also so completely soul crushing for me because this was the trip that I had planned for next month in 2020. Uh, my wife and I and another couple were going to go to Oaxaca for eight days and there was also happened to be a mole festival going on at the same time. I'm like, it's all of my favorite things happening. And then COVID hits and 
they were really excited and wanted to book the trip again. And between my wife and I taking our moms to Norway a month ago and then Noma coming up, there's just no way. So they're now going without us. Oh, they're going. Now, mind you, we got to use the flight credits for other things. So, I mean, all in all, like we've had travels, but now the fact that like I'm hearing from more people about how absolutely insanely amazing it is. I'm tasting this stuff and just dreaming about it. And I know that two of my best friends are going to be there without me is just like soul crushing. The fear of time. The fear of time. Yeah, there you go. You yeah. want to be omnipresent. Yeah. I'd be in four countries at one time. I always know you will get there another day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's 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 what you just have to say. And that's I feel that same way when you go somewhere. You can't see everything. No. You can't learn everything. You can't see everything. All you can do is find places that you're like, I 100% want to come back here and learn more. Or places where you're like, not my vibe. I'm, I, I'm happy I came here. But we can just probably cross that one off unless something wild changes. What are we drinking next? Uh, yeah. It's really cool to adventure through agave in this order too because we've had such different profiles between the first three. It reminds of when Johan was on the program and we tried uh, a bunch of rums. If you heard that episode, I forget what number that was, but going through and I, there's a there's a kind of a cool, it, it, obviously not a lot of commonalities, but there are some commonalities in uh the range of flavor characteristics of rums and what we experienced with Yoan when he was on the show and then what you can experience with agaves. And when you delve into those worlds, it makes you realize that the range of flavors that you can perceive in whiskey is so small, like finger to finger comparative to the range of characteristics is your arms all the way apart for agaves or, or rums. Yeah. Didn't recently, uh, like in the last couple of years, there's a bunch of Haitian rums in the Minnesota market yeah. right yep. now. Yep. And, Hades is Hades is small, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Nick just had one today earlier, and at, at at little teas, and and the idea is mm-hmm. to me is Hades is a small country, mm-hmm. man, right. and they're producing literally different terroirs and different taste profiles. Yeah. Rum is an is an amazing spirit in that same way. It kind of carries all these different notes. I, I Haitian rums are like many of them are very estery and like have bitterness and like all sorts of characteristics that you would not, you know, the layman would not think that they could experience that in a rum. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and to jump off that too, um, a couple of weeks ago, our community was fortunate enough to have um, a, a distillery from the New Orleans area called Sheremy? Uh, Sheremy. Yeah. Uh, rums. And he's uh, the head distiller and owner is making their rum with pure sugarcane juice harvested from around him in Louisiana. And, I will freely admit that I did not know that that was a thing that you could get your hands on down there, much less enough that you could base a business around it. Yeah. And the Blanc had, like, some of the crazy, like, almost like cachaca, like, funk to it. And then he had two different cask-aged ones and trying just what was coming out of the barrel and being able to do all that in a row with a little bit of different woods and a different age. It was really crazy for me because I – oh, so I'll go that guy. Doing my copa. All right. And which is this one? So this one is a from Puebla. Uh, it is a Pichumel, and I'm going to have Nick All talk right. about this one. So Ian talked about the last one because he brought it. I'm going to have Nick talk about this one. I really wish we had a, a fast cue for lap dance by NERD. <laughs> we have a great, a great chair situation I'm going on there. more than... Ian is in a way, so... Uh, pop on pop. Yeah. 
pop on pop. So yeah, as, as Todd kind of mentioned earlier, the the Mamarada kind of stole my heart really quickly. Um, my first time down in Oaxaca, you know, I liked mezcal. Didn't really know where I was at with it, but I knew I liked it a lot. And I went to this spot called Mezcaloteca, kind of one of the premier agave tasting rooms in the world. You know, it's one of the premier in Oaxaca, so it by default makes it one of the yeah, premier right. in the world. You know, and uh, we had this amazing taste guide, and they came down and they sat with us, and you know, it was like a five to ten minute preamble about like well what kind of food do you like and like what kind of like coffee mm. do you drink what kind of wine and like he's really yes, figuring out please. our taste palette right and i'm like holy shit like like i haven't been to therapy but i kind of feel like this is what they <laughs> yeah. ask like yeah. this is crazy and so he, you know he found me and then one of them was this plant it's agave called the pichumel this is a varietal of the marmorata uh and it was like one of those like come to jesus moments so yeah like one of those mm. like Oh shit! This is this is where I am. Like this is who I am. It's like I met myself in the mirror and yeah. like gave myself a pat on the back. Right? It's it the like, God cup. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the like, one that made oh, you believe. Like, yeah, like, yeah. I see myself in here. Fuck and, ayahuasca. Get some agave. Yeah, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, right? Like, I'm, and like as a. I'm very pro DMT and ayahuasca, but Marmorada <laughs> right there next the, next to it. Okay. Right? Uh, More accessible tier. Yeah, and so yeah. it's it turns out it's kind of like an obnoxiously rare agave to find and uh it's really only mm -hmm. on the border of puebla and oaxaca and you know i'm lucky enough to have fallen in love with this agave but i'm also lucky enough to fall in love with this woman and uh decided well like i want to go get married you know i want to go propose to this love of my life and i was like i'm gonna go do it in puebla and i'm gonna track down this agave that i love and i'm gonna you know, look the love of my life in the eye in the same place, and like, how special is that, right? Oh, shit. And so, that's awesome. I'm in a I'm in a bar in Mexico City, and I'm kind of talking to this this guy, and he's very nice to us. Anytime you go to Mexico City and you know a little bit, or in Mexico in general, you know a little bit of about agave as a gringo, it goes miles. Sure. Yeah. Right. It's, I was there last summer. Yeah. yeah. You, right. They're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, sweet. Like, yeah. thank you. Like, because you know, ninety. You know, 90% of the time, it's not somebody like that. And there's 10% of the time, they're like, oh, you really You got Cuervo. Yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, no shade. But it's like, that's yeah. not what me and we do. So uh, I was talking to him, and he's like, I got a guy. Like, I got a people. Like, I'll, I'll help you out. And got a WhatsApp number, you know, went to Puebla, got engaged in the most awkward way. And that's a story for another day. But, you know, <laughs> this was not going to make Sleepless in Seattle type of a no. movie. Okay. Right? Backseat of a like, Volkswagen. Not, but it worked. <laughs> like, the ultimate outcome is yes. And, uh, I resemble that statement. I got engaged in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm super with it. I'm a rom-com guy till I die. Yeah. Engaged in Florida. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, you know. And these are moments, yeah. right? And these are moments we want, you know. And so... I, I got a guy, he's WhatsApp, and heck yeah, I'm there with, you know, five buddies, and, you know, shout out those five buddies that followed me in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I get in this person's car off WhatsApp that I met, and <laughs> yeah. six hours later, I'm like, I've made a mistake. Like, <laughs> I have chosen poorly. Yeah, like, I'm responsible for this person now, and, like, we've we're nowhere near where I thought we were going to be. And this is like <laughs> at the edge of Puebla. And, yeah. 
you know, and again, it's only grown there. So you really do have to trek out there. There's not yeah. a Pichumel on the market, at least available in Minnesota. Mm. You know, Cinco Sentidos does a Pichumel. That's kind of available, sort of, but, you know, really not really. You know, it's a 15 to 25 year. Permanently on plan. the catalog, but also permanently out of yeah, stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know not, a few of those. <laughs> this is not going to go well. If yeah. This is your favorite thing. And, you know, when you come to that, it's what we need. And these people turned out to be amazing. They were um, service industry workers in Mexico City working at Pujol and Maximov. Pujol. And during the pandemic, they were laid off. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? And they banded together. They bought a piece of land out in Puebla. And they started making these agaves. Uh, Maximo as well? Yeah, yeah, Maximo. Yeah, yeah. I love Maximo. What a beautiful restaurant, right? Incredible. With a tree in the middle. I don't know what it is about Mexico City and trees, but there are me- trees in all yeah. these beautiful restaurants. Like, right. if we can do that in The Minnesota. vines that are like yeah. 800 feet long. Yeah. Like this we were sitting right rest. underneath that giant vine. I wanted to swing from it. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's, it's beautiful, right? Is yeah. there a black metal version of the Tarzan scream? Fuck, there will be there <laughs> when I swing from that motherfucker next time. That's the yeah. only question I want answered before the next time you're swinging from a tree. Yeah, so this is a long, long story, even longer, you know. This is a, this is a Pichamel from Isolados. Uh, means isolated. This is a very small community. You know, they're doing, they have a very small uh, palenque, you know, oh, yeah. distilleries and holy shit when they, uh, went, when they went down too they had uh, they made them a meal like it yeah. wasn't just about buying. it was like it was, it was like a full meal agave um, tastings and then buy bottles awesome. and yeah it turned they, out to be a great trip yeah they was like a three four five course tasting meal with three yeah. different drinks they made cocktails and then you got into the thick of it with the agaves and this pichamel really just spoke to me this is the f- bought 12 bottles on the spot and gave one to everybody <laughs> i loved and saved five for myself beautiful here we are. So I'm glad to be sharing it with y'all. This yeah, is truly so breathtaking. Thank you. Yeah. So Ian's talking about going to Palenques and actually just talking to them directly about what they're doing, how they're making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I think. Yeah, I think that any time traveling there and yeah. getting to know them and stuff. Right. And I think in the, in the, at the end of the day, that's really like what we should be trying to search for in everything. Like I, I love doing that with cheers, by the way, with breweries. Yeah. Ooh, cheers. Wow. I love going to farms where you see where the things are grown. I love going to where the cheese is made, where the, the grain is harvested for the bread is made. Thank you for sharing. That's absolutely breathtaking. There's like a, there's like a spearmint in there that I was not prepared for. And it adds this like levity to everything else where you still get some earthiness, but I don't know. Yeah, there's for sure fruit in there. That's, that's fuck. It's a little like marshmallowy too. Yeah. 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 That squishiness, like a little bit of um, marshmallow sometimes uh, manifests as like a little bit of vanilla mm-hmm. but that's a lot of layers that's very yeah. very deep did you say squishiness squishiness All right. <laughs> i don't know if you've noticed my shape but that's how i rate well, a lot like, of things when we so. When, so when i when i brand beers for my clients and it, when you have like an imperial stout and it contains vanilla and you pr- describe it as marshmallow sometimes it's due simply to the mouthfeel 
Yeah. And you want to defer away from saying vanilla, 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 Madagascar vanilla, Mexican vanilla. You want to say something else. So you say, say marshmallow. Because no one's brewing with fucking marshmallows. You might throw like three in there to say you did it. But when you call it marshmallow, it's because of the, the squishiness. That, yeah. I like that. That's It's a texture thing, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, marshmallow yeah, yeah. is just sweetness and vanilla. Yeah, that's yeah. literally what we're perceiving. Marshmallow mouthfeel is also my home uh, synth project that I'm I working on. A lot of show. like 80s vibes. Yeah. Like, I have... Our sound is somewhere between um, the sax solo when a cop dies in like a 1988 action movie and the very special episode of your favorite 90s sitcom. That's where that's where my synth lies. When I said I'm coming, I was joking. Now I'm coming. coming. I got floor seats. (laughs) All right. Topic number four. So, Todd, everyone lives multiple lives when it comes to their career. Uh, We've probably all done many things throughout our lives until we arrive to the point that we're at right now. What's a particularly memorable time for you in a past vocation? And do you miss any of what you used to do before uh, you arrived to where you are today? Uh, yeah, my I spent um, uh, 20, 20, 25 years in the music business. I did and not know so, that. Yeah, so I worked for... I graduated uh, college in, from Mankato, and in the, my last two years in Mankato, I was booking bands, uh, bringing bands to Mankato, just college rock bands and punk bands to uh, a little bar down there called the What's Up Lounge. Oh, and um, and then I moved up here, and I started booking bands um, for, I spent four years booking different bands around the city and college tours and things like that. I didn't, I, I thought that was, it was fine. I liked it, but it wasn't, it wasn't where to answer your question. It wasn't really where I don't miss booking bands. Right. Um, what I do, I, I moved on from there and I started making records with a company called Noiseland, And um, mm. we made a lot of CDs back in the day, uh, like back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And um, mostly for independent musicians. Um, but what, Really, towards the end of my 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 span at um, um, at Noiseland was um, was just sort of we started moving away from independent musicians and working with labels, and we started making vinyls, and um, and that was kind of a cool transition because at the time it was MP3 stuff and we didn't know if that's where you were supposed to go but, or vinyls, and then we ended up going shifting to vinyls and that was just kind of at my end of my career there but it was really the people I met at Noiseland and the and the musicians I met in the city um was a was a really really fun and good time um it, throughout that time frame I managed some bands um that we recorded uh, out at Paisley like for Warner Brothers and you know can you say ha- who can you say who can you that? say who can you say who <laughs> So the, uh, <laughs> so I'm just the music nerd. I just no, get I excited. I'm just like, I, I have no idea, but like, I feel like we're close enough in age that this might be of the overlap of like when I was teenage turning 21, 22, 23. I don't, I don't know. I'm yeah. Well, you're 30. I'm 43. 43. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 53. So we're, yeah, we're not that far off. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the case that we probably were overlapping a little bit there. Sure. So who who would have been in your like favorites of that of that run that you were working with? 
Oh god, of Minneapolis stuff or outside? Whatever. Just was there was there a, a band that was like that was awesome working with them or you were just impressed by that? They don't have to be fucking famous, like just Oh yeah. Uh I'm trying to think. There was a couple of Minneapolis bands that I liked that were pretty that I enjoyed. I mean, also just knowing that the people were good, but um I'm trying to think of who um yeah, you put me on spot. Well, hey, we, we can band. come back to that. That's yeah, no big deal. I got to think of a couple of those little indie bands. Here, well, what I laugh about this to myself now is I think about, like, how we stream so much music, and I've got a shit ton of MP3s on my, like, on my computer of bands that those records are never they're uh-huh. never going anywhere. They're that I If I lose them, they're gone. Right. I mean, they'll never be in a streaming service. You know what I mean? These guys didn't leave the Midwest, let alone, uh, you know, have the opportunity to put it out there right now. Yeah. And so um, I want to try, try to remember, like, uh, there's a band called Janice Figure that was around for a while. Yeah, I remember them. Um, that I that I know a bunch of those guys, mm-hmm. and sort of sort of enjoyed doing, did some CDs and, and vinyls for them. Um, yeah, I, I, I have to think of a couple. Yeah, 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 definitely. no big deal. But uh, but yeah, that was sort of that window of time that I really enjoyed. Um, I had an op- I had a friend ask me to do a to do a to to manage a European tour for Prince and I said no that's way over my head I don't want to do that I I would be too nervous to do that and she's like I think you should come in and interview for it and I I never did go in and interview I kind of got to a point where I was like let's go do it and then she's like ah that it's got pushed off. Prince was so erratic that it was just sort of this and that and I was like. Oh, thank God I didn't do that. <laughs> so, because I was just, it probably would have been cool for my career, but I also probably think I would have went insane, like trying to figure that one out. Yeah. Um, mostly just because I'm a little bit more probably a, like, obtuse or, or, I don't know if that's the word, but like rigid. Sure. And dealing with like a, like a super mind, I would have been like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> so. For, former guest of the podcast and, and good friend DJ Dudley D was on a tour uh, with Prince in Europe and it is it is every bit as chaotic as you would think I, I, it is. I just would have to believe, I yeah. would be like never sleeping, constantly being like, wait, what do I got to do now? What's going on? So I just, I just I'm kind of glad I didn't do it, but, but um, she was kind enough to that's awesome. Reach out to me, so amazing. That that I guess that period was a cool period. I mean, don't get me wrong. This period in my life, again, I said this earlier, the constant learning and the passion uh, that I've kind of come to and transitioned to is this, and and I love this now. But yes, that little window of time of the late '90s, early 2000s was just also it was my wheelhouse of age. You know, I mean, I was just sort of that kind of like this is the great time. This is what I love yeah. doing. So, and honestly, you can probably, if you talk to a bunch of my friends, you can just look the way I dress. I still dress the same way that I dressed in the nineties. <laughs> I think that's something that our, our generation is absolutely pushing through is like, I'm, as a, I'm, gen, I'm a gen Xer. We're the like, fuck yeah. it. We're just going to be yeah. whatever. <laughs> I'm rocking a ball cap and Pumas and I don't give a shit. Like this is what's fucking happening. <laughs> so, all right, Charles, in your intention with this question, yeah. are you thinking a specific moment or are you thinking like a block of time? Uh, never mind my intention. Choose your own adventure. <laughs> so is it like what would I want to experience again or is it something that I think about? Just you like it, it doesn't even have to be a specific memory, but do you have a fondness for something you used to do before? It could be a specific memory. It could be a time 
that you just enjoyed and it, you know, honestly, like contextualize it. All right. In, in the sense, in, like, enjoyed. Miss it. Yeah. Enjoyed. I'll, I'll, I'll change my answer. Cause I was going to tell a fuck Kobe Bryant story, but, uh, I'll, I'll say th- there was a moment, um, too soon. Fuck him. Whatever. <laughs> he could fucking eat a dick. I shouldn't say that. That's problematic. I just fuck Kobe Bryant. Sorry. Uh, Get at me. Um, there, there was a moment in 2005 to like the first crash in 2008 where everybody was drunk on mortgage rates and black cards. Can't believe you use that word after what you just said. Yeah. And, uh, and the, the city of the downtown portion of Minneapolis went from them calling it Murderapolis. Like we were very cyclical because now the people in the suburbs are saying the same shit about Minneapolis that they did in the early or the late nineties. But there was a resurgence and we had some very friendly tax laws come in and a lot of businesses opened in downtown and nightclub culture exploded because that was all of that development was happening at the same time as DJs were finally being accepted as like, this is the point of going out to the club is they made like the DJ, the person, they made it like a celebrity thing, sort of like what we did with chefs just a few years later, or bartenders a few years later. And we, um, the city of Minneapolis, along with a lot of other cities around the world had these incredible, like million, two million, three million million investments come in and build these palatial nightclubs. None of which of course survived, but it was a wild ass ride while you were there. And we had, we had one, here in town uh that was called spin nightclub and it was they they gutted the interior of this uh almost 100 year old building that had had a a nightclub there previous but they opened it up so it was basically two full floors open with this huge dance floor the dj booth was up on the second floor they had um uh nitrogen jets in the ceiling to blast like jets of cold air and fog down under the crowd and it could drop the temperature in the nightclub by like 11 degrees in four seconds made a huge like it was like it was like the reverse fireworks it shot at the crowd and it was cold uh and holding up my high life yeah and uh, like they had a they had a ridiculous like five megawatt laser that had mirrors that were all lined up so when you'd hit the nitrous jets, there's fog everywhere, and then you'd hit this laser, and they had mirrors, so it would shoot all over the club. And it was just like nobody had seen anything like that. Okay. And it was the best sound system that I had ever heard at that Sounds time. Sounds as fuck. It was 100%. Like, again, a place where if you close your eyes when you walk in, and somebody tells, tells you, like, I gave you a sleep, I B.A. Baracus to you, yep. and now here we are in Vegas, you would believe it because that's how, or something, yeah. that's how nice that place was. But being in the DJ booth for all that, like I never really hung out. I was always working when I was there. And being in the DJ booth for that, like it took three of us in the booth. Somebody was on the microphone, somebody was on the record, somebody was on the lights the entire time. Like it was nonstop, like two full computer screens of touch lights and all that shit. And I don't think I ever really took a step back to go like, fuck, this is awesome. Like it was... (laughs) absolute hedonism at its peak for what i had seen in the twin cities and was this was this in the where downtown warehouse district yeah Yeah. okay uh and like every celebrity who was anybody who was in town came through that was also like in that weird moment where social media was kind of getting going but didn't run the world and we also didn't have camera phones 
they would pay for like B and C list celebrities to come and like party host. Oh, so that's when you're hanging out with people like CT. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, I never really like, I was in it so much that I never took a step back to just like enjoy how fucking wild that was. Mm -hmm. And it also, when you're in the middle of that, it never feels like it's going to go away. Like I will never know what it's like to be like a platinum selling recording artist. But every time you watch the behind the music, when, when they're like, man, this is amazing. We're going to run the world forever. And then it slowly goes to from color to black and white. And they're like, but the journey would be ending soon. Like that was <laughs> that <is> true. <laughs> absolutely. Like the world came to a screeching halt yeah. in 08. And then all of a sudden the same dudes that were getting bottle service the week previous are now coming in and applying to be barbacks. <laughs> like it was wild. Like I specifically remember a 26 year old kid applying to be a barback. And we were like, dude, you've been coming here for like six months. Like he's like, I have $88,000 in credit card debt. Holy shit. Cause he had just been, yeah, he had just been living, man. He had just been going out every night and just running the card and tipping like crazy and all that shit. You know, like there were, there were just no, there were no safety measures on those train tracks at all. And I would love. You only rent that, you only rent that vodka and you only rented the money. Correct. And I would love to be able to go back and just like, just watch for a night. I would love to like stand next to younger me and just kind of take it all in and listen. Like I, I would like, I don't want to tell me to do anything different. I would prefer if I could be invisible. But if I could just hang out and, and not be thinking about what song's coming next, when do we hit the red button for the fog? Like, is it laser time? Is it not laser time? What's the, what's the big hit going to be? Mm-hmm. Trying to figure out, because again, people didn't, there was no streaming anything at this time. Yeah, yeah. You still, you, you could carry your MP3s in your iPod, but you were still the only place that you could find music that wasn't what your friends were listening to. And you're probably not programming the whole set in advance. Oh, not at all. Like, I mean, there are some epic fight stories that I have of us not agreeing with where we should go with the music for the next three songs. And like, (laughs) nobody on the dance floor gave a shit, but we sure as fuck did. Right, you guys did, yeah. And I I would love to, I would love to experience that again. Because it is, and I don't, I don't find any joy, like, the last time I was in Vegas, I walked by all those clubs with lines down the block. Like, I don't, I'm not going to wait in line and like go in. I just want to go to the safe spot with a locked door, but I could actually see 1,700 people yeah. dancing until all, every single piece of clothing on their body was sweat through and to realize that I was a part of that. Because it, it, was, it was always, what can we do better? Oh, I don't like that song. I should have gotten out of this 20 seconds earlier. What the fuck? Uh, there's so much stress involved that I don't think I ever got to take myself out of it. You didn't enjoy it. No. Yeah. Yeah. So now I do it very, very rarely. But when I do it, I try to give myself that time a little bit yeah, to just be like, good. this is fucking rad. Like this tent or room full of strangers is sweating through their clothes while rubbing on each other. Because I chose to pay, play a certain group of songs in a certain order, and that's that's a cool uh, it's a cool thing. I just wish when I was younger, which I guarantee you, most of the people listening right now are nodding, saying I agree. I wish when I was younger I would have taken a second. But yes, youth's also wasted on the youth. And if I had thought about that at all, I don't know if I would have been able to just get buck wild like I did back then. Oh, no, because you didn't have the perspective that you have now, and that both refers to you know the the anecdote I use a lot about. The, pro wrestler Christian or Christian Cage, yep. how in an interview, I remember him referring to the fact that uh, someone asked him if he had any regret about his career, and he's still wrestling, but he he remarked that he wished that when he stepped through the curtain that he actually observed his environment more and, like, breathed it in, like, felt the crowd. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, this is my job, I do this every night, let's go do our job, 
And then also when on um, the rectangle episode, the idea that you never knew it was going to be the last house party with a group of friends. Correct. This is going to last forever, right? Yeah, it's hundred percent. Or at least you don't have that. You're never. You don't think about like, well, this is when it will end because anything we do today certainly there is an end point, and you could observe it. You could be like, I think that maybe the runway on this thing is another fifteen years or something like that. We don't really think that way because we don't observe the notions of something like Brian Eno's Long Now Foundation, which is the way I prefer to live my life, but don't always live that way. Where think think longer term. What's the gestation over, you know, the fiscal decade? But now we're like fiscal week. Yep. It's not the quarter or the yeah. year. It's what did we do this week? Show me what we did last night. We totally. don't think we don't think ahead. I know? totally agree with you. Yeah. And I think it, and, and of course you're a fucking kid, a twenty something year old kid is not going to have that. That's also earned through wisdom. Twenty year olds don't have absolutely that type of wisdom, but it'd be nice. To, it'd, it'd be cool to just see it to just or to just like glorp yourself or, or yep. zap yourself into that that stand and like look at it and get blasted with a yeah with cold air in your face and be like holy shit look at all this. I mean, they literally gave us <laughs> they gave us a metal box yeah. with a plexiglass shell to it and a giant red button. Like there is nothing really? that appeals <laughs> to my base mode. So you're in a game more, show, hundred yeah. percent, or a nuclear launch, or yeah, yeah. every action movie you've you're ever a, seen anywhere. You're in a game show called DJ Fuck You Up. That never got old to me. I, I promise. DJ Fuck You Up. <laughs> exactly. DJ Fuck You Up. <laughs> I will tell every single one of you out there that while everything else, every song got wrote at some point and just got boring. Hitting that fucking button yeah. never got boring. Dance, bitch. Because you, you could really only hit it once, maybe twice a night. That was okay. it. Because yeah. you're emptying out those tanks every single time. <laughs> okay, oh, sure. right. Like, we had to have the people come the next day to refill them. Because that, that was okay. what we were or going through. it was through. some Dr. Evil shit, and you knock everybody out if you hit it three times. Listen, if it works that way, it works that way. But hey, y'all, y'all got a good... Just waiting for Kobe Bryant to stand underneath one of the things. You're like, come on. Dude. Come on. <laughs> He laughed at Ricky Rubio when he blew out his ACL. He stood over him and he laughed. Fuck Kobe. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. That's it. There's <laughs> that's the story. There's more things about there's things about him that are. There's way more things about Kobe, but that is my. I watched that happen and my blood boiled. Mm-hmm. Also, he's probably a rapist. Anyway, more than probably. Yeah. Well, but I wasn't there for that. So for me, I've done a multitude of things, uh, and the thing that I I miss a lot, and I still do, but it uh, manifests in a different way, is writing. So writing is the reason that this podcast exists, as we've been down this very road many times. Libations for Everyone was previously a feature that I wrote for Red Current, and it was about uh, local bartenders and their, their bar programs. Uh, I've been a writer since I was a teenager. My first job was as a writer for the Minneapolis Summer Youth Newsletter. I was 14 years old and getting paid to write, which was cool because I was a good creative writer. And um, so I was put on staff to, to or got, I got hired to be a teenage writer for this teenage written newsletter that was um, mailed around Northeast Minneapolis. And uh, throughout my life from that point i was a writer in various forms and fashions i wrote for some video game blogs some pro wrestling blogs uh mixed martial arts blogs i got hired to write locally for um freelancing for like red current and the growler 
And now that manifests in um, ad copy, technical writing, mostly that. I do creative writing as well, but not like long form writing, uh, opinion pieces, things like that, reviews. Uh, it pays shit, obviously. Writing is not what it once was. I did it because I loved it. I did it for that latter part, you know, throughout my 30s. I was doing it because I wanted to do it. I enjoyed doing it. And uh, it just brought me a sense of gratification or kind of touched a nerve in my creative uh, makeup that the other things that I do, the many, many other things I do, didn't touch. And I enjoy doing it. I think the last thing I wrote was for The Growler maybe eight or nine years ago. Um, it was about craft distillation. It was a long-form article, and I'm glad that that was my final thing that I wrote. I will get back to it someday. I don't know if that's published writing necessarily or if it's... I, I mentioned before that I I'd like to get back to, to writing novels again, um, but I'll itch that scratch again, and I do miss it. And it's, it fulfills a certain desire in, in my brain that um, all the hundred other creative things I do don't fulfill. But yeah, man, that's, you know, it, I think a lot of people, a lot of people want to write or even if they're, you know, they're, just, they're talented at it and they're like, I, I think I could write for a publication. Um, and many of those people likely could even at a, like a low level, just freelancing and um, getting whatever $250 to spend between eight and 20 hours writing something. Um, I think it's worth pursuing if you enjoy writing the art form of writing for anyone that is listening to this, that wants to give that a shot, just know that you're going to treat it as a recreational pursuit. If you go into it with that point of view, uh, it's going to be a lot easier on you, but it's something that uh, can give you a great sense of satisfaction. Mm. Totally agree. And that's just, that's where writing has gotten to is, is, is it, why is that? Why is it just getting so diluted down that it don't, is it, I mean, why are we getting to that point? Yeah. It's just, this is a I don't know. I don't know the answer. The ink stained wretches are a thing of the past, right? So it used to be that you'd have to work really hard to make it, to get into like a print publication. Yeah. Now print publications are dying. Yeah. There are a lot of small pathways to becoming a writer okay so you can write for yep. a website but they're mostly going to ask you for sweat equity you know? oh even okay. even websites that are profitable are going to say well show me your experience i have none that's why i'm here yeah, and sure. places like that will offer you little to nothing you know you might make 60 bucks for a while and spend uh, countless hours all right it's it's hard now to go get for someone to get a journalism degree and to make an actual career out of writing. Yeah. Very, yeah. very difficult. There, there's saturation, you know, it's not unlike my actual field of vocation in, in design and marketing sure. designers. I mean, there's so many designers in the world that often people take non-paying or low paying opportunities just to prove their metal. Sure. is a similar dynamic, uh, but with lower stakes because okay. you could freelance, write And, maybe write one thing a month and do it as a recreational pursuit, see if it might take you somewhere. But it's just, the days are long gone of print publications being yeah. all around us. Well, and even taking it a step further into like uh, writing for, for TV shows or movies, like one of the reasons that the writer's strike is going on right now is because there's no, for TV writing, there's no, or actually for movies too, there's no syndication 
money coming in. Like, yeah. you know, groups used to pay tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to have the rights to like replay Seinfeld episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now NBC just owns the original rights to it. Now they just stream it. So they don't pay the writers anymore. Sure. So I like literally earlier today, uh, a friend of a friend is a writer and was talking about how five years ago, um, her residual checks were somewhere between ten and twelve thousand dollars, and the last one that she got was for four dollars. So it's just yeah. gone. It's just because because the, the studios they can take all the profit and they don't have to pay anybody anymore because they own the streaming services now, which they didn't used to. Correct. So now if NBC owns it start to finish, they pay you to write at the very beginning, and then they can show it in perpetuity, and you don't have any rights to get back. That's one of the reasons that this is this is going on. And that a lot of other fields of writers are getting into it because if that's where things go, if we really eventually do get rid of print books and everything is just on, you know, Kindle or whatever, is it going to be the same thing sure. where they pay you the first time for the novel and then they can sell it to people for the rest of their lives and right. you'll never After get that, your fingers over, on that. Yeah. So there's license agreement. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the screws are being tightened basically in every aspect of professional writing. So just trying to figure out where there's room to do anything, which is why most of my shit just ends up on social media. Cause then it gets out of my head, but I'm also not trying to profit from it. I'm sure. just trying now to the like, bots are coming for us too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Robots. Chat GP will be here soon. <laughs> as long as you don't send the, the robotic dog with the machine gun. That's another one oh, that goes up gonna. on my fear list, man. When, yeah. when, when the dog, like, it looks weird when it kind of falls over. I don't like how it moves. It can dance and do a cartwheel. Yeah, but it looks, it always looks like <laughs> the little girl from the ring. Like, it yeah. never moves quite right. It's always like, nah, no. Nah. Oh, they move too well now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like recent it. videos. They move, they move too well. Yeah, I don't. Nope. No, thank well, you. cheers to, <laughs> to the dancing robot dogs. Coming apocalypse. <laughs> right. oh, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah What's next? Uh, 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 uh. We're on five? Yep. We are on five. Number five. Zanko. Uh-oh. I just, uh, I just saw tape and handwriting on the label. I'm in. Mm -hmm. So was the first, have we had a clay pot distillate yet? The Montagna was a clay pot. Okay, so clay pot distillates, in my opinion, kind of tend to have lower notes. Copper pots tend to have higher notes. Yep. So this this is clay pot. Uh, the last couple of things we have are clay pot distillate, which I think uh, all three of us, uh, Nick Ian and myself, are, are fans of. I don't know 100%, but I think we're all fans of clay pot. Yeah. Yeah, the... A lot of things involving clay aging or anything like that. I love that that minerality, the the flavor of like the terroir directly meaning the soil. I really do love that because that's something that you can get when you try the water somewhere where you can taste if it's got a lot of limestone or it's got a lot of clay in it. I really dig that aspect of it, so I'm I'm excited to try this. So this is a uh, yeah, as you said, it's a bottle with tape on it, um, mostly <laughs> because it's um. Ooh, she funky. Yeah, it's a bottle uh, from this town of Santa Catarina, oh. Minas, uh, which is outside of Oaxaca City. It is a producer called Felix Angeles. The first trip I ever went down there uh, in 2015, yeah, I think I said that earlier. You can cross-reference that out. You did, 100% did. But uh, uh, the, 
I went to Santa Caterina. I went to, I was taken to Felix. And um, he fat, very quickly became one of my favorite producers. He produces a lot of really fun products. This is a pechuga. So pechugas yeah. for anybody that my doesn't favorite. know. Uh, sorry? That's his favorite. favorite. That, oh, that's right. perfunctory. Most so pechugas mean, uh, means breasts. Uh, it's usually a, an infusion of a protein. Um, this is going to be, I believe Felix does all chicken. I think okay. he's tra- traditional with chicken breast. Um, so uh, it's distilled three times. Normally a mezcal would be distilled twice. This is distilled a third time with a uh, chicken breast inside the still, um, along with a bunch of fruits and grains and things like that. Felix doesn't ever tell me what else is added to this. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't have anything written on here because I wasn't probably told when I was there. Sure. So... Uh, well, he might be. I don't. So Ian said. Ian said he might be losing a little bit of his eyesight. Uh, that's not him. No, that's Don Goyo. Sorry. So that's a different guy. Yeah. So we we're just discussing uh, the Don Goyo is a different producer. Who? Uh, yeah. That one. I definitely think he's losing a little bit of eyesight. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> At any rate, uh, Felix um, does not do a lot of. But Felix is old. Uh, Felix doesn't do a lot of production anymore. His kids do a lot of production. Um, he has plenty of kids that kind of work in the facility. And so last time I was there, which was, um, 2020, I took a bunch of the guys from the restaurant down there and we bought a bunch of stuff. But anyway, long story short, uh, this is a pechuga de araqueño. Uh, so the plant, you brought up araqueño earlier. Uh, Araqueños are a long, old plant, not a lot of sugar content. They're an Americana uh, species. Uh, they're just not a lot of people use them. So to do make a pechuga out of Araqueño is, you don't see that happen very often. Um, you said funky. I definitely yeah. think it has some funk to it. Um, meaning, I, 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 can somebody, I think it's methanol funky, but I don't know necessarily if anybody has another uh, phrase yeah. for it. No, that's um, for sure. It, yeah. It's, oh, wow, that is. But that's so when you good. taste it, I think you get the pechuga part. Yep. I think you get some of the fruits and grains yep. that are in there that come through. So I think the smell has got definitely some sort of, some sort of um, residual methanol notes. <laughs> and then you get, because there's probably methanol in there. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just not always going to, it's not going to be pulled out. So. Yep. Um, that is and fantastic. the reason why it's a green tape, it's why it's a tape bottle, is because I bought it directly from him and brought it back. Yes. So this one was just a this is a suitcase one. Um, I mean this the <laughs> NC two and the other one were also suitcase ones, but they have actual professional labels. This is just <laughs> Felix doesn't send stuff to the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, this is like a water yeah. bottle one. He just doesn't. Send I always stuff love having this. your tape bottles when I come in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because I, I see like the innocuous like blue bottles on the wall, and I'm like, I hope he gives me one of those. Yeah. <laughs> That's the hope, you know. When you come in, you, yeah. you come in and you try That's, something. My goal is to have yeah, you like, try oh, something this? that you can't get here. That was yeah. the that's point. always the thing that I'm searching for every time I travel. I love uh, the first time that Od uh, Strambakin and I hung out. The la- he goes, "When do you leave tomorrow?" And I was like, "Oh, not till the evening." He's like, "Get up tomorrow, go to the liquor store, buy the cheapest bottle of gin, and dump it out." I'm like, what? He goes, just bring it to me. I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he basically resealed a bottle for me of shit that they don't ever let leave the distillery. Oh, nice. And then did that. I've had that experience in a number of different countries 
Uh, my wife loves to tell the story of looking up. Turns when we out were, any label will do, though. Maybe someone should update him on that. <laughs> well, it just wanted it. Yeah, yeah, basically, it was, yeah, whatever. It's like when I bring Arak back from Lebanon that, like, I used to distill Arak with my um, my uncle, and he would just put it in, like, Evian bottles. Yeah. And we'd slap, literally, because he had a bunch of acres of, of different, like, fruits and vegetables. we just take, like, his random label for olives slap an olive label on there. They can't, it doesn't matter. It's just, no. it's a label. He's like, slap it on there. It's <laughs> an Evian bottle with an olive label on it. Like, all right, who gives a shit? But yeah, my, my, my favorite travel story that my wife likes to roll her eyes at is uh, that I don't think that you've really hit it in a city or in a culture until you end up standing behind a bar arguing with the bartender about how much money you'll give him for a bathtub gin that his mother makes that he has in a box <laughs> underneath the bar. And, like, none of that entire process that got me there, at no point did I even see a single warning flag. I'm like, no, we're going to have this discussion, and we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden you look out, and you're just, like, in a bar in Iceland with a bunch of people there having not a heated discussion but a loud discussion about exactly what you think this gin that you can't try because it's not open and it's only his mom's and they can't serve it at the bar. What do I think I want to pay for mystery box number one? Right, right. And... To me, at that point, what was in the bottle almost didn't matter. I'm like, we need oh. to get, I need to get some points back from what you're offering and feel like I got somewhat of a good deal on it. And then we're going to go home and we're going to try it in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was awesome. I think it's part of the agave goes. Here, yeah, come on over to the microphone. So as far as agave goes. As far as agave goes, I think is like one of the big things is uh, if you start asking a bunch of questions, no matter if you're in Escondido with us and like you're very of like what's going on we're gonna pour you something yeah fucking weird and fun and mm-hmm. crazy because that's what we're all about if you're interested we're interested and that's our whole thing and so i think that carries around from we've been down in mexico to like state by state whenever i've like come across an agave bar and like you're doing something fun and cool and you start asking a bunch of questions they're like all right shit well I have this thing right now that's not on the menu, but, like, yeah. I brought it back from this last trip or whatever, and, like, that's all going on. Like, that's what agave is, and I think what you were talking about earlier is, like, it's just a passion thing more than anything. Yep. And Like, when you're in, in a specific agave bar and you've got a bartender who's just, like, stoked on the shit, if you're inquisitive in any way, they're like, hey, I'm going to charge you for a couple of pours, but also here's a couple of pours up yep. side because, like, want to know about this shit and that's the only way that this word is going to be spread like and yeah. to honor like the price points of what is coming across the border yeah it's yeah. like uh it's like being be, having you, to be a local to get a bottle of pliny when you're in california yeah. you know uh, similarly when i was in mexico city last summer we were at this dope agave bar uh about a mile down the road from the frida Kahlo museum and i was inquiring about their menu and I asked if they had pachuga and they said no but I think that they thought and my wife's the one who speaks Spanish they probably thought like he's just fishing for like the nice stuff and so I selected a couple other things and then asked a lot of questions and I think that they were like oh he likes agave he's not just and they were like we have this this unlabeled rattlesnake pachuga back here and so I was like yeah can I fucking have that I think it was a rattlesnake that's what he called it anyways All right. now Todd how does it how, what if what if a nope rope has to die in order for it to oh, I'm okay with okay you're all right so snake snake in the agave good we're we're in Oaxaca at, at uh, uh, El Destilado and they gave us uh, El Destilado was like as we're walking out they're like oh you guys should try this 
because we went through the whole process. They're like, oh, we, by the way, here they pull a big jug up and it's a snake, a snake pachuga. Yeah. Like, you guys should have this. <laughs> like, all right, let's go. Yeah. So no, I'm okay with that because it's dead. I don't have no problem. <laughs> you see, it's so funny because I, I am totally fine with snakes, but I drank some fucking swill from Southeast Asia that had a scorpion and a snake in it, and I had a heart arrhythmia for three days, so I will not drink it if there's a snake in there, but if you just hand me a snake, like, we'll hang out. I'm there's cool no with the actual life. Yeah, the bottle yeah. of the stuff I drink. <laughs> That's fucking real. <laughs> you're not going to lick the snake. No, exactly. <laughs> just say it. Uh, all right. So uh, I feel like we we cheers right we did we all yeah. tried it I don't know if we yeah. ever actually said cheers but cheers, though. Uh, question number five is uh, this can be food plus drink this could be two drinks or two food dishes that you like together is there a combo of things that you enjoy uh, eating and or drinking that people might look at you weird for or scoff at but you think that that combo is legit. And that can, like I said, that could be a food dish that you eat and you wash it down with something. It could be, you know, two beverages that you enjoy together or the taste of two foods that maybe somebody is like, what? (laughs) 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 Yes. I don't know if anybody looks at anybody weird for that, though. Blowjobs and mezcal. Explain to me what these blowjobs are. (laughs) (laughs) So you get a can of whipped cream and some Baileys. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, God, no, I, uh, God, I'm so, I'm pretty boring in this case. Uh, you can think about it too if you yeah. want a second. I mean, see if there's anything, like even something that your partner might look at you weird for or something that yeah. from your childhood that you thought was delicious. I always think it's fascinating because I think everybody kind of has, if you dig far enough, everybody has at least one where they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I didn't realize I was the weirdo until my friends looked at me weird for. Sometimes it's not that weird. No, it's not Sometimes that. It's just not socially accepted. Yeah. I'll go, you can think about it. Like fish and seafood being paired with any wine other than white wine is mm. frowned upon by billions of people. There's no really good, there's, there's not a great reason for it. And I get pushed back from a lot of friends, my, my, even my wife, where I'll be like, we can have a Nebbiolo or a yeah. Duron or a Pinot Noir with chicken. Just like, it doesn't compute for a lot of people. That's fair. But that would be something that I think is, and, and it's, it's not weird. No. It's not, there's, there's a lot of shit that I pair this probably weird just because i enjoy it and i know i like it and it's just for me but there are instances where you know i make a roast chicken with some vegetables and some roast potatoes and marnie's like what are we what are we drinking with it she's like oh we don't have any white wine i'm like yeah we have this nebbiolo she's like i can't drink red wine with a fucking chicken i'm like yes yeah you can yeah and also now that we're in the age where we have a lot of heritage breeds of different fowl and pork that there's almost like it's almost a, a, a nebulous value to the what the, the the characteristics of the flesh are, like heritage breed pigs. Like that's more like beef than it is like pork. But people, yeah, Magalitza, people are like locked in. No, like Duroc, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like you do pork, you do white wine. I'm like that's more like what you're eating is more like red meat. Yeah. Or if you're eating duck or pheasant or anything like that, like that's as good a pairing with red wine as it is with white wine. Sure, you could have white wine with squab, but you can have red wine with squab too. Like, mm-hmm. I think that we're too, we're single tracked because we learn early on in our uh, gestation of understanding how to eat and drink in unison that 
white wine goes with this and red wine goes with this. But people forget that they're all grapes and it's not, it's not fully binary. There are characteristics to each and it's a gradient. It's not just two single tracks. So that's what, what I would say. So I For like me, natural, I drink naturally red wine more than red wine just because yeah. I get same. There's too much, sometimes too much acidity in mm-hmm. whites that bothers me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, even a light red that's chilled slightly, uh, I think is yes. good. Fuck yeah. And so yeah. delightful. Personally, I'll drink that with anything. I don't give a shit what it is. So I agree. That's a great point. That didn't come to my attention when I was thinking about the question. But yeah, I would lean towards red. Um, but a light red, like, you know, I just consider sure. I don't know why. Red wines just taste better to me. I don't know what it is, but that's my taste profile right now. That's not yeah. going to be my answer. I, I think I got another one. But oh, yeah, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure, yeah. So well, yeah, also serving temperature is something. People think that you have to have room temperature red wine, and in the summer it's it's hot, like hot red wine. <laughs> yes, we not, we not talked about great. this on a recent episode. Like, yeah, some red wine should be chilled a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure it should be. Chill. And I'm the same way. I like red wines more than I like white wines. But yeah. the white wines I like, I like a lot. It's just harder to find one that I enjoy. So yeah. the batting average is is lower. It's lesser for me, too. If I'm going to have something wine-wise, almost that's... I would drink a rosé rosé probably more sure. than I drink a white. But, I, you know, sure. it's just... It's I like Austrian red. and German shit now. I'm drinking, like, lots of... Wines from those and keep keep going east in Europe, man. When you get into like Croatian wines and Georgian wines, like there's so many incredible flavors. For everyone out there listening, please explore more of the wines in in Eastern Europe. Yeah, there's holy shit. There's so much good stuff there. And obviously, I'm Lebanese, so I drink a lot of Lebanese wine, so I'm willing to explore different different areas as well yeah for sure i'm i love sake so i'll drink sake with a lot of weird Fuck things yeah. sometimes people will maybe maybe not weird things but just sometimes i'll have a sake with food that doesn't that's not japanese food so yeah sake taco well there you go there's there's the answer nick just gave me sake and tacos sake and tacos i see <laughs> zero not? issues with that what doesn't uh, sake so, go with so right maybe, maybe sake with any sake is my white wine like I honestly, there you go. Especially <laughs> if you want a little less acid in there, that makes a ton of yeah, sense. Yeah, that might be where it's at. So, Ooh, um, all right. Yeah, that's so. I, I'm, and I know a lot of people aren't sake people just because it's a acquired taste. But yeah, we can I move this, sake. No, no, we I'm good. We we've, we've moved it up for the guys when they came in, and then you keep having to lean yeah, forward. No, no. That's my bad. Bad producer. <laughs> bad producer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There you go. Get everybody so, in there. So no, I probably. Maybe that's my answer. It's just sake and taco sake sounds and awesome, and, and that sounds like the next party eating. we're gonna throw. Sake taco. Sake taco. <laughs> After <laughs> we'll, we'll get through Negroni party, and then we'll have sake taco. Like Pop up restaurant. Fuck yeah, let's sake go. Taco. I got a birthday in August. I'm just saying. Maybe we bust out Kitchen Stadium and get weird. Oh shit! All right, here we go. Ian's coming back in. Only things off of the um, rectangle episode that you guys were mentioning, like a munchies episode. Yeah. These were like, we're going to come in and do some fucking wild-ass munchies. Yeah. Let's fucking do some wild-ass mezcal paired with those. Like, you're like, in. we're going to tell you the ingredients of, like, what's going on and, like, all the shit. And we're going to be like, all right, we're going to have some. Like, I, I heard Let's funky, go. weird uh, 
Rasias yep. with like cheesiness. Yeah, like, baby. Let's throw in some of those shit. Like, dude, you in. throw us some oh. weirds that we always stone as fuck. In. Throw some shit yes. down on the grill. And then we're like, all right, what mezcals are going to go pair with this? Let's do that shit. Like a pairing episode with that? Like, where we're I'm just in. incorporating all that shit? Like, that was my first thought. I was breaking yep. over and I was like, oh my God, I want to do that more than anything. So, we're putting this together. We've been trying to figure out how to do this hang. The bus off the Lowry Bridge. Exactly. There it is. It Let's fucking That's exactly go. it. Like, it's one of those episodes where everyone's going to get weird as fuck. Yep. But, yeah. but, wouldn't have it any other way. so great. We're going to be <laughs> full. We're going to be drunk. We're going to be happy. We're going to be like, all right, whatever. Dude, it's I'm in. Be a great fucking I day. am in. Seatbelt is on. Let's go. Full up, fucked up. We're going to be fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Saki taco I'm so in Saki, Oh taco. Let's go Then we get some Mezcal in taco <laughs> Genie sprinkles Oh <laughs> uh, I guess yeah Me um, Okay so I'm gonna just Kick out two other Things that people should try And then I'm gonna talk about The thing that I have not found A single person That believes This is gonna be good for me So I will stand for the rest of my life for movie popcorn and junior mints. It's the best fucking combo. I love it to death. It's okay. I, I also can, will say. I um, can see it. I can see it. Yep. I've I will also say if your community has a really good coffee stout or coffee porter, like something that's got some good roasty notes to it, obsidian black, drink that with a little um, bronca menta on the side, and it gives you this like dark chocolate minty. Thin mint, but with espresso in there. It's fucking mm. delightful. Like and drinking your coffee after brushing your teeth. People I love mean, that. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, people look at me crazy, and I have turned so many people onto that. And I'm, it's, my, it's my new passion pitch. Is trying hey, to get people into that. People say, like, you can't have coffee and orange juice, but I, obviously. There's another thing I sent you where I was like, see? Yep. See? see? The... the the espresso tonic yep. craze that's happening now. It's I've been blowing up. People, yeah. You know, you've all been to Mexico. Espresso tonic is common, or a cold press tonic is very common throughout the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. What's here, all over it's Europe? Ne- it's it's nowhere here. Yeah. Yeah. What are the people yeah. doing at, at Vivir? The people are doing they do um uh, uh, no espresso and uh, lemonade. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so that's another big one. I didn't know about that. Yep. I'm like, what the hell? What is did that? you think about it? Orange and chocolate work really well together. Oh, Orange and coffee flavor work well together. But what people think about is like bad, shitty, sour, like refrigerator oh, orange yeah. juice and bad, shitty, burnt coffee. Yeah. But Tropicana and Brim, not great. Yeah. But like right. an actual orange <laughs> juice and an actual yeah. coffee. Well, all right, then I'm going to get super weird with it because my, my answer and this is something that I am making. I have all the ingredients at my house right now, and I should have done it yesterday. I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I am making a salted caramel ice cream with shaved uh, yaitus, which is a sweet and savory goat cheese from Norway. <laughs> I'm in danger. <laughs> yes, 100% you are. <laughs> I just played the I'm in danger sound bite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, perfect use of the Ralph For the Lickham. people in the room, obviously, if you're listening, you fucking heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so, basically, what it, what it comes down to for me is the idea of I love a really rich, creamy ice cream, right? Mm. I also love if there's a little bit of 
like salty salinity in there, whether that's a little finishing salt on top or doing like a teaspoon in the mix as you're going, I think that it has to be in there to balance it out. And the more that I thought about it is if I'm going to do a full custard, you have to cook it. And if I'm going to be cooking it and I'm going to be using heat, then why shouldn't I bring in this cheese that my people make that is somewhere between cheese and caramel? It's like too sweet to be what we would consider cheese and too caramelly to be, or too savory to be candy, but it it hits all those notes. So this combination you like no one has ever had. I will find out. I know I'm saying the combination that people would take umbrage with this one. Correct. No one has ever had before. That's some, but every time I bring it up, people look at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? About, yeah. And I'm like, that almost makes me more excited to do this. <laughs> okay. And if it's disgusting, I will eat it all and I will lie to everybody and okay. say that it was great. But well, I don't think it's going to be. I, I, I've eaten enough of both of them separately mm-hmm. that I trust my palate into thinking that this is going to be great. I just and want because that cheese. Of the, well, it's, it's also delicious. I, I'll have some left over. We can eat that too. But I like the idea. I've never done this of what kind of a silky fat content the cheese is going to give the ice cream when it melts in in the custard stage. Mm. And then you let it cool off and you don't go too over the top. But then you mix it up in the ice cream, and maybe I end up with something that's got a little closer to gelato in the mouthfeel to it. fat content. Yeah. That's literally what, if you look at my, my Instagram page, that's actually the trademark. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for you to like refer to yourself with that. I almost wanted to be like, uh. I, I caught it. I just wanted to get my thought out. Because I, I, literally, this is the, how my, my thought process went in getting to this. Yeah. And so I was going to try and get it done this last weekend. I didn't. And now, basically, I'm going to start the, the custard process tomorrow so that I can make the ice cream okay. on Saturday morning. And then I have a sure. weekend to sure. sit with it and hopefully enjoy it. Otherwise, try to pawn it off on people that would be why willing guinea pigs. And <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I'm putting goat cheese in, in, in ice cream. I'm loving seeing more savory ice creams mm-hmm. and more experimental flavors in ice creams. Uh, you know, we're both not really sweets pay people, Correct. but when you bring in those types of elements, that's when I'm ready to play ball because I like desserts that have cheese in them, fruit in them, nuts in them. Like, were you sweet earlier in life or not? When I was a kid, I ate candy bars. We all and stuff. are, right? Yeah, for sure. We're all sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I was 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think our palate is changing, become more savory. So mm-hmm. you start to find those notes. Yep, that may um, well be true. Or yeah. it's just I'm looking for, uh, okay, here's, here's, and we've talked about this before, but when I'm in foreign countries when i'm in other countries i like their confections more because a they use real chocolate yeah b they don't use that much sugar they use enough or they use something like a a local honey and then they also use like fruit and nuts and things like that it's like there's there is more depth to it more complexity it's not just sugar and chocolate flavored crayons yeah for me is not palatable i just i don't want to eat crayons Mm mm-hmm no, I agree. We have really bad sweets. Bad sweets? Yeah. For, the, for the most here. part. Yeah. We're getting better. I mean, we're getting better. We're getting some, you know, really cool patisseries and, and bakeries and stuff, especially where we reside in the Twin Cities. Even at Vivir, that um, that strawberry empanada is fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. And even the uh, the the caramel roll, it's a, uh, is it passion fruit? The, uh, what are the caramel? Guava. It's guava. The guava. Yeah. I remember the first time my wife ordered that, just looking at it, I was like, that looks like a Cinnabon and I'll throw up if I even smell it. And then she was like, 
I think you might like this. And then I took a bite of it. And the buttercream frosting on it is not very sweet. Mm-hmm. And there's all the guava in there instead of just the Correct. shitty yeah. refined sugar uh, caramel. And I was like, holy fuck, that is really good. Especially yeah. with the coffee. Yeah. So I got to have coffee. Yeah, you got to have the coffee there yeah. for sure. Banging. That's why. There it is. Ian, Ian worked there because of that. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, are we gonna do? Do we want to do one last one last pour for the final question? Is there one bottle, or are we there doing? There is a little baby bottle hidden. Little back baby there. bottle. I I eagle eyed it. This bottle's the size oh, of a baby. A baby. So the baby bottle is not what we're gonna drink. Oh. Uh, <laughs> this. The baby bottle is for a gift for you guys. What? So that's that's just come on. That's just staying here. So well, we can we can taste that. If wait, you want, how many bottles are there? Is this a bottle we haven't had? This is a bottle we haven't had. Yeah, yeah. we got we got even right. more than that. If there's another bottle, <laughs> we got a whole lot of bottles. <laughs> if there's another bottle we haven't had, cool. If that's the only bottle we haven't had, let's <laughs> no, fucking no, drink no, it. We got, yeah. So no, we've uh, this is a uh, San uh, Martinero from Santa Catarina Minas. So. I love that you guys came in with the same amount of bottles that Billy Connolly had in Guns in, uh, what's the fucking, what movie am I trying to think of? Uh, the two dudes, the Daryl from The Walking Dead. The, they're the assassins. Yeah, the Irish brothers. Oh, Oh, my God. Oh, the wow. listeners screaming. They're right absolutely, now. and, and if you, I was listening is. to this show, I would be screaming while looking at my radio. But my or you will be moving. next time you listen yeah, to Yeah, oh, absolutely. When you hear it back, you're going to be like, you fucking moron. Saints of New York, Saints of, no. Saints of. Fuck, yeah, I don't know. Boondock Saints, there we go. Boondock Saints. You guys came in like Billy Connolly in fucking Boondock Saints. There are bottles inside coats. There's a bottle inside. (laughs) Just remember, listeners, we've probably had more to drink than you. (laughs) I think Ian pulled a Mezcal shiv out of his sock. Like, it's getting wilder out here. Uh, it's like an Easter egg hunt down yeah. here, and we were all down at the same time, so I don't even know where these bottles are. I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping like Nick's got like a false heel in that boot, yeah. just clicks it open like some Bond shit, oh, and then shit. like some little airline bottles come out. Oh, it's like a better tomorrow, Chinese fats, false <laughs> yes, leg. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so uh, the, the Pachuga you had from is from a, the city of, or the town of Santa Catarina, Minas. This is the, and it was Felix Angeles. This is the next door neighbor. Oh, sweet. The next door neighbor, uh, Lalo, uh, they're, they're basically, his, uh, he is Eduardo uh, Angeles. This is Felix Angeles. Um, and this is a Karawinski species. Um, I just presented them together. I think we're doing it. To, I, I wanted to do them back to back because they're both clay pot distillations. Um, now, again, this is a pechuga. The first one was pechuga. The second one is just a, a it's a, it's another clay pot distillation from the same region. So you're going to get some of the same notes, but what we're going to really compare is sort of the differences from the plants and then the, the non-infusion. So, mm. um, ooh. Is, is it, did Ian bring this? Yeah. Yeah. You can get on mic again. Yeah, I also feel like uh, while we pour. I also feel like that's one fucking awesome compliment. Hold on one second. I forgot there was something there. So, uh, what an awesome compliment that you could take one smell and go. I bet Ian brought this. Uh, That's a great, great uh, thing to say. Yeah. Um, Because Carl Wincy's are my favorite thing to pour for anybody. Um, 
You know, I'm going to quickly, I'll, I'll take a quick second to talk about Todd and uh, Escondido and what we got going on there. Please do. Um, it's a fucking special place. It really is. Um, I stepped into that program, getting a job there where I've been a hardcore bartender for a good amount of years now and stepping into that program where they're like, hey, we don't have a lot to offer as far as like a bar program for Centro. We're pouring a lot of taps and whatnot. But what we do want is somebody who's stoked about doing some agave stuff. And, hey, actually, uh, we're going to take you down to Mexico and do some learning down there. And I was like, let's go. You're going to pay me to go down to Mexico? (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) And so with that, the cherry on top of every ice cream right there, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I don't think a lot of people in this industry get offered an opportunity to go down anywhere to actually experience the spirit that they are absolutely selling and learning about and dedicating their life to. And I think that's something that I truly um, subscribe to is like this spirit of like, I got to fall in love with this shit uh, when I was in Montana, but then coming back here and like finding somebody like Todd who was like, this is my fucking life and what I want to do with this shit. Um, It's so special to like, share a trip down there and get to experience that with somebody who knows it front and back and like get to do that. I, 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 I lost my passport down in Oaxaca. And so it was a crazy bonkers <laughs> a trip. Story. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one. Um, but I ended up getting to go on my own to do a, like a mezcalero trip and like got to go off wow. because I was searching for my passport on the day that they went all out. And like, I got to go do this solo trip that they ended up, Todd ended up finding for me with Dari, who was like the, Dari's like the best guy in Oaxaca to go do anything with. But he took me out to all these fucking special places, and I got to experience Mezcal for what it truly is. And that's something, the only thing that I really, really wanted to talk on the behalf of Mezcal is going into these people's homes yeah. and, like, sharing the experience and, like, watching them. You know, they know what they have to do that day, but they're taking one, two, three hours out of the day being like, all right, you guys are visiting our town from who knows how fucking far and being like, I'm not going to let you leave until you try every single product that I've made in the last six, 10, 12 months and the pouring them for you. And they don't know a lick of English and we don't know a lick of Spanish, which is one of those things where it's like, all right, you're a gringo, but also it's not that you go in, they cook you lunch. They're like, we're just so happy that you're sharing this experience with all of us. And like, we just want to make sure that you feel honored and special for traveling down here and doing this thing. And we're going down there to feel honored and special because we want to experience this unique experience and try all of this stuff from the scratch, from the start, from the base of where it's all coming from. And so that's what I fell in love with was because of this fucking guy right here. What a beautiful thing to say. It absolutely is. And so that's, uh, that's just like all of that together is like super, super special and uh, and super awesome. awesome to have like with these guys and i feel so great about all that yeah let's cut that shit no i'm just uh we'll move on um but no off of this product right here is uh uh, we're tasting a lalo product uh lalo is like the creme de la creme of oaxaca he walks into a bar you fucking know that he's there because everyone's looking around and knowing it um i was like lalo on breaking bad what's that like Lalo on Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know when he walks into a fucking room. Yep. That's exactly yep. it. Yeah. You can hear every footstep. Yep. Uh, but it is one of those guys. Um, it's Santa Canarina Minas, right, uh, is where Lalo was at. I was unfortunately at the airport that day searching for my passport. But 
uh, Todd and himself and a bunch of other people went down there. And so I'll have him talk a little bit more about the producer himself. But I just know Lalo is like this amazing guy. His son is producing um, literally across the block from him. He is literally 15, 20 feet from where his production is, which is so cool. Wow. Um, yeah, that's one of the special things about agave is like when you get to hear about how long the production is and how long these agaves are in the ground, when they're passing on these um, mezcaleros and these mezcalerias, these people have grown up with watching these plants. And so like when you think about those arcanos, those tepesates, yeah. those 30, 40-year-old agaves, yeah. they've been watching these since they were children. That's they've so grown crazy up with to these think about. Plants, and they know how special they are. And when they finally get their crack at like digging these agaves up and like producing these piñas and roasting them and going through with that. It's so special. It's so cool. And that's one of those things that it whiskey's awesome. I come from a big whiskey background and I love all of that, but to actually get to see like this humbleness of what's going on down there. Whiskey's so this is what we do and this is what we have every year we produce this 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 and right. then, like you're like that's awesome. But when you go down there and you're like, yeah, my grandfather showed me this when I was 6. And now I'm 47 or whatever. And they were like, this is a plant that I'm going to dig up, hopefully, in a couple of years when it's mature enough. And they have that respect for it. And all of a sudden, they're cooking you lunch. They're showing you where they live, like all that type of stuff. It's just a different experience. For for me, at least, like going down there and like experiencing that. And so that's my favorite thing about all of Oaxaca and any mezcalero that you get to meet is like the humbleness and like how much they honor the product and how much you get to share within that experience Incredible. while you're down there. And so, well, and uh, you, 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 you get, I'm, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you have to be able to like, to smell the air and to, to taste the dust in the wind when you have a sip of this, like it takes you back. It gives you that point of reference where that's your chance to travel for just one second back to those, those places. I mean, that's yeah. amazing. I also would like to say that if you think about it, our Aquino being a 40 year gestation period, the aging and that someone watching it, cause Putting it in that context also is very important. Yeah, mm-hmm. that some of these people watched those Arquino grow for forty Their years. Lives. Imagine if every time a batch of bourbon was produced, you had to chop down an American oak tree that you watched age for forty years, because create it's a whole different level. Create that pathway, that idea that like that's a lot of time went into that latent time for a plant like that to grow for forty fucking years. Mm-hmm. Forty years. I'm forty one. That's those plants are my age. I read a, uh, I recently read this feature about how it, 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 the the H one headline was, "You're not paying enough for your mezcal," mm-hmm. and, but they were referring to the ages of plants and referring to how old each of these plants is, and you're paying what thirty six dollars for that bottle for a plant that was thirty years old. Mm-hmm. You're not paying enough. That's you know, some of us are like, yeah. hang on a second, but. Yeah. There, there's going to be a reckoning. There, were, there will be. be a reckoning. Yeah. No, that's 100%. That's the only thing I really truly like have to say about agave because be coming from like a whiskey background, I was like, how much would you pay for a two-ounce pour of a 30-year-old scotch? Fucking crazy amount, mm-hmm. wouldn't you? You're going out to a high-end restaurant. You want to pair it with some amazing scotch that's been barrel-aged for how many years? Well, that agave's been in the ground for that long, and then they produce it. Yeah. What if the wheat gonna... took that long to grow? That's what I'm I mean, saying. It's like, it's you know, that. exactly. So yeah. That's my only thing to really truly say about agave. No, I love. Thank you. That like that. Yeah. Thank you for putting thank it you in so those much. terms too, because yeah. mm-hmm. that really like that reframes it for me. 
that I, I I admit I don't think about that enough. And yeah, it it is yeah. something that makes this such like an incredibly special thing. Like we talk about it a little bit with wine in like the age of vines, and that like some of these vines have been around for hundreds of years, and then some of them unfortunately fire or rot or right. whatever had to be replaced. But fruit and fruit and fruit. Right. Right. You know, but but this is literally a single shot. You know, if, what if every time you harvested the grapes, then you had to burn all the vines? I mean, it's a wild, you know, like it's a wild. Them, yeah. yeah, you had to re and then replant them. I mean, <laughs> right. that's crazy to think about. So cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. Oh, man. So uh, to me, Mezcal, like just to do a little bit of that, is a cocktail in itself because yeah. you have like so many different flavors. Now I'm just going to wax poetic for a while. Uh, but the idea is just, it just like, it has so much. I don't need that additional tonic. I don't need that additional soda or, you know, whatever yeah. it is because yeah. it just has so much to it. So that's me just being weird about it. But I love that fact. That's what makes yeah. me love it. Oh, that's now. salient. Like you literally have this taste and we've just tasted like five or six different spirits and if we went back and we're like, okay, what's your favorite? They're all different flavor notes. Totally. And you'd be like, oh, I want to try that one again. It's just like you just had like six cocktails. And I get it. It was little bits, but that's what I love about the spirit. So Same. Super fun. So. I, yeah, I want to thank you all for sharing these with us because that was fucking excellent. It's mind-blowing. Yeah, this is. Uh, yeah, this little baby bottle that you guys talked oh, yeah. about. Uh, this is, yeah, this is for you guys. This is uh, from Santa Catarina Minas, too. So the last two we've had were Santa Hell Catarina yeah. Minas, but this is also Damn. clay pot. This is an ensemble. So this is a label really? I'm, I'm working on. Wow. Uh, I'm hoping that I can have it out legally in a little oh. while. Uh, this is just sort of a fun little uh, test run of some things, but it's a, it's a, this is for you guys. This is a Espadine Tobasiche Tripone Ensemble. So there's three different agaves in there, and it's made by a 21-year-old kid from down there. So, oh. uh, so there you go. Amazing. You. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. and, and We're flattered. The lone <laughs> wolf. I love it. Okay. So my, my uh, the Only name. the second time it's been seen in a while. <laughs> yeah, right. The name comes from, uh, uh, I think, Danny, uh, our, our, one of our chefs at... Uh, yeah, yeah, Danny yeah. Yum. <laughs> I thought it was Nicky Yum. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Nicky Yum. Uh, but he, I work in the back in Escondido, and I'm always there by myself. So he just calls me Lobo Solitario. <laughs> That's so great. Well, it's a perfect transition to the final yeah. topic of conversation. Yeah, yeah. There we are. Uh, you've brought agave spirits to uh, another level in the city, along with the, the help of these fine gentlemen, if I do say so myself. What is the Twin Cities missing that we could use more of in your estimation? With regards to mezcal or with regards to anything? Food and beverage or anything. I, anything. Mm -hmm. uh, longer summers? Not kidding, <laughs> just, uh, I'm joking. Uh, the, um, I think with regards to mezcal, we have... Um, I always started this program, or I always thought what I wanted to do was to bring more mezcal 
to the market because Minnesota five years ago, seven years ago, didn't have anything nope. outside of very random like Delma gave Vita and a couple of really basic Espadines. Yeah. And, and there's always one bottle of Monte Altabon. And Monte, yeah, exactly. There's always something there that... and so the idea um was for me was like let's 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 try to advocate for more product um i personally think that i've the more i've read and the more i understand how mezcal is growing the more i'm starting to be like oh god do we need we do need more product we just don't need more rail product we just need more interesting product because we are crushing the agaves we are drinking the shit out of them and we are the 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 overall expansion of the market is huge and i start to go okay hold on we got to slow it down a little bit so i much i i kind of want to expand the 75 dollar a bottle market more than i want to expand the 35 dollar a bottle market and that's not because i'm against well it's just because i worry that we're going to just bleed out we're going to over consume the agaves and and like you said i think uh that uh earlier was that we need to pay more for agaves Mm -hmm. and the reality is i think we do because we need to sort of understand the gestation period of that agave so um I think to it, expanding the market in Minnesota was, I think we've not accomplished it, but we've done better. There's way better brands or brands that I believe in that I think pay the producers well, uh, pay the farmers well. So I think we've done good there. Now I think the next step is to how do we create um, sustainability within that? Sure, sure. If that would be. So uh, to answer your question, I guess, is in the mezcal world, we've gotten to where we, I think we need to be with good quality uh, batches and product in the market. Now, how do we maintain that and just sort of make sure that we're not abusing it? Um, and I haven't, I, I'm still going to work on that in my brain. I've got to figure out how to, like, I guess, present that. But sure. that's kind of the goal in mezcal. Uh, outside of that, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, shit, I, I think, no, I don't I, Yeah, I mean, that's. More, uh, more, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, get, come into Mes- Escondido. Come to Escondido. And, and try more stuff. Yeah, uh, no, I'm joking, but uh, uh, I think that, yeah, I think in the Mesco world, that's going to be where my knowledge is or where I can I can answer your question. I, I mean, I can. I can up, opine. Is that how do you how do you opine? Say opine about some other shit, but I don't really want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Can't get mad just, at give, that. just give me in trouble by that. <laughs> shit. Yeah. Really uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, dude, and I, I, I'm signing up for all of that. I want, <laughs> I want all of that. Uh, mine is is a little bit more lowbrow, but I'm so impressed with the fact that we figured out how to do some food trucks around here but we don't have any like food carts or food stands still. We found a way to basically make a mobile kitchen work, but most of the time it takes just as long as it would to order food at a restaurant. And every time I'm in a city like Chicago or Milwaukee or New York or Boston or even, even LA this last time, there's a sausage cart everywhere. You know, there's just a dog cart everywhere. Yeah. I'm more, why don't we have more of that? Legal thing. Yeah. 
I know, I know what, like, why we don't, but like, we've that, changed. We got fucking recreational yeah. marijuana, and I can't get a sausage from a cart, like, with yeah, with yeah, exactly, al pastor, like anything where you can yeah. just walk up and get something that I can hold in my hand and munch while I cruise away. Or in this city, we're uh, also dealing with issues with barbecue because yeah. of food being produced outside of the containment unit. Ah, uh, great point. Served. You make a great point. That was but it's the same. Yeah. It's the same problem. There's yeah. like a hazy legality to a cart because it's not contained. It's just it's very confusing. But you're right. It should be solved. So like it's easily solvable. It's just no one's stumping for it. Well, I guess that's my problem. Is I feel like where's we should, the, we should where's get the sausage cart lobby. Yes, we need the sausage cart lobby to <laughs> wheel in their delicious smelling treats yeah. and get everybody passionate because like look, I understand that the political system can seem fucking crazy and it's impossible to feel like we're actually attached to any of this. But at the end of the day, in my adult life, we got microbreweries we got sunday sales we have recreational marijuana like get the fuck out of here as the whole country is crumbling around disgusting far-right bullshit we've codified rights for a ton of people we can do all of that but we can't figure out how to legally get a sausage off a fucking cart i don't understand it and I'm, it's not as important i get it it's not as important but i want yeah i want i want that veneer lacquer on that cart that's been there for 20 years i have two food carts in new york that i still go to because i know for a fact they have never been completely washed they have just been scraped off because that's where the flavor comes from and i'm here for it you know like let me get flavor some saver. let me get some trinidadian doubles let's fucking let's go there are so many easily easily handheld delicious foods that we could have we, and we it, just don't so let me ask a weird question is it do you, could it be because we don't have the density because that kind of stuff just happens organically and they That's ask for forgiveness it. rather than permits. And the reality is we don't have the density and the nonsense. So somebody could just start doing it and they get busted because our system doesn't have anything else to do. I think that if we were warm 12 months a year, that probably would have happened. Yeah. But because it's such a short span and because at the time when like a downtown or an uptown Minneapolis pre like 2019 probably i think could have i think handled that too yeah but the problem was that there was such an overarching governmental nemesis of like they were busting private parties it just popped up in my time hop yesterday like six years ago a friend of mine's like private dinner club got busted because it technically wasn't a commercial kitchen and they like somebody narked enough that the government showed up there to bust yeah. this party. Like we are especially litigious when it comes to things. And I like because of that, like we have good standards for food service. I'm that's happy knowing correct. that. Yeah. That's what happened with barbecue is that there was a willful eye turned away because it wasn't bothering anybody until there was a whistleblower. Right. So when somebody filed a formal complaint, the city had to address it. Right. It's probably something similar because the city doesn't give a shit if you have a pop-up dinner. Right. But if someone narks, then... It was like, somebody didn't get invited, right, well, and then they fucking called it filed, in. So we have to do something about it. It's, it's silly. Yeah. So I guess that's I, my thing. I would like, also love to see the opportunity for the city to get back to kitchens open till 2 a.m. Yeah. I think people should be able yeah. to eat food at any time of the day. Well, we can't even get restaurants to keep their kitchens open. I know. That's the other thing. But eventually, like we can get to that point, yeah. too. And so I think if we can get back to that point... And we, I think maybe that will come down the line. I hope it does. Hope it does. I mean, I, I listen, agree. 
give us one year with recreational marijuana, and I guarantee you there's going to be some more places that we can get some food fast. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, people need to eat. Chuck wagons at SA are going to cut it. Go, baby. It's going to be a lot of food poisoning. <laughs> right. uh, Charles, what's your, what, what, what do you wish we had more of? I had a conversation recently with uh, Hennessy. Hennessy. time prior guest of the podcast about just the – and I know it seems disparaging to say it, but just like boldness. And that doesn't mean overextension. It means just like trying something new or different to like any degree. We're a very also ran community. Again, not an insult. I do market research in food and beverage for a living. It's all love. But things like, I mean, honestly, to contextualize it, Escondido is very much an outlier a program like that and a space like that and the hours that you occupy, the reservation system that you have, it's a big risk. But if you go somewhere like fucking San Diego, you find stuff like that because people have taken that calculated risk before, but no one here has dared to do that before you all dared to do that. And seeing those types of risks to me is something that we're sorely missing here. And Part of the problem is that it's probably going to require somebody new that wants to put the mm-hmm. chips down on green on the roulette table to say, like, I really want, I, I know it's a big risk, but uh, there's a big reward at, at the end of the wheel. I want I want to see more of it. And we have, we're not like a diner's marketplace. You know, it's, it's a Todd's point that, the carts, what kind of trafficked area would the cart be in, then it receives enough service. But that doesn't mean that you can't sort of find a stopgap between being like way out there and attempting something. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like try something, put yeah. your put your chips on the table. Yeah. Can you do something that people are really, really passionate about? It's less people, certainly, but can you find something that, a very, very passionate group of people will support in perpetuity. I think there's so much room for that, not just in our market, but a lot of markets. There's people listening to this all over the place that are probably concurring that I wish that the place that I lived in did that as well. Part of it is that I do a great deal of research in the marketplaces where people are willing to take those risks. So I travel all over the world, New York and Chicago and LA and foreign markets in, in Europe and you know, South America and things like that. And I see those risks being taken and how they can pay off. But people here are tepid to risk. We're very risk averse here. And the other thing I would say is yakitori. Can I have some fucking yakitori? Oh, can I have some yakitori? For fuck's sake. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be such an easy, can I have easy some thing yakitori? to do. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Like a like a Japanese standing bar, yakitori, slash sake, and just such an it's an easy concept. Like an eight seater, I don't care. I'll sit there all day. It could be amazing all day. Yep, for sure. But also, I think one of the problems we have with doing yakitori is also ventilation, open flame. You know, it's like also it's you know I don't know where you're (laughs) listening from, but (laughs) anywhere you live, there are different problems that need to be solved. Yep, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well shit this has been absolutely amazing 
we can't thank you enough for bringing all these amazing agaves. Yes. Uh, Charles, in addition to getting a picture of us together, we should get a picture of all the bottles as well. Oh, I've been thinking about it this whole time. Yeah. We should line them up in order. Because yeah. <laughs> We're going to yes, have to please. get them in order so that everybody yes. uh, who is interested at all, you can check it out yep. and see. And we'll list them at the um, bottom of the episode description in the order that we consume them. So if you want to uh, cross-reference the notes with uh, what's being described by these three fine gentlemen on the program, you can learn an awful lot about these agaves uh, via their words. And wherever you are, if you have access to agaves and you have a chance at any of these, please go get them. There's not a single one of those that I would not drink three, four, 10, 12 times again. Or um, just explore, like yeah. find commonalities with the words. Well, that's that what I was going to say is like, but if not, like, just start poking around. Yeah. Um, and if you do live somewhere here in the Twin Cities area or you happen to be traveling through uh, Minnesota, I know a lot of people stop here on their way other places as we are a hub for uh, Delta. Please take some time, swing into Escondido. Uh, you will not be disappointed by the service. You will not be disappointed by the environment. And yeah. you sure as shit will not be disappointed by anything that gets in your glass. Best agave bar in the Midwest, not close. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where can you be found on the social Yeah, if people are interested, how do they follow and, uh, along? So you can, uh, the website is escondidompls.com. Um, you can also get tickets to tastings at agavetix.com. Um, as, uh, there's a, what is a, there's a, uh, social media thing out there called Instagram. Um, I, pr- it, I pronounce it Instagram. That's what you're sure. reaching for. Yeah. Yeah. Instant. Yeah. Uh, and that is a Escondido MPLS as well. Um, I think that's it. That's really it. I think I said a lot of ums there, so you should all yeah. drink every time I say an um. Woo! And, uh, as long as you're not driving. In this podcast. It is the end of the show, so <laughs> yeah. it's okay if they pass out. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where you find us. Uh, yeah. And So, yeah, come see us. Dope. So. Love Cannot it. recommend enough. Uh, Charles, anything you want to throw in? Let's get the tab. Let's get out of here. All right, man. Well, hey, it's been a lot of fun, and we'll see you on the next episode. But uh, till then, here's a word from our sponsor. Guam, this has been a great sesh, but I got to tell you, I cannot wait to go home and crack a can of Plyth. Oh, yes. Yeah, I just want to relax before I call it a night, but I can't decide which of the three spectacular flavors I want to drink. Why don't you tell our listeners about the three flavors? Well, first of all, you got the OG, the original Tart Lime. Uh, a low-dose THC version of a classic margarita. Yes. It's got all of that bright lime citrus and then sweetened with uh, organic agave, real cane sugar, and monk fruit stevia. Lovely. Just a perfect balance of sweet and tart. Then we got crisp ginger, which is my jam. Yeah. So you got that beautiful, real ginger flavor, that spicy ginger flavor, offset with a little bit of uh, citrus lime in there. Mm. And then again, sweetened with agave, cane sugar, and then monk fruit stevia, keeping it at 50 calories with all of the flavor of your traditional Moscow mule. Right. And then, of course, the brand new flavor. We got juicy grapefruit. Oh, baby. Juicy. That juice. And it, the minute you crack into it, you just get that grapefruit grove, grapefruit blossom smell all around you. Pour it into a glass. It's beautifully sweet and tart together, kind of in the way that a ruby red grapefruit would be. Yes. And, oh, man, it just keeps me coming back. My mouth waters every time I think about it. And, again, just 50 calories for the whole thing. So you can make a Paloma, but you're going to give up five times those calories. Right. So for this, I get all of that flavor. I get a low dose of four milligrams of THC. 
and I get to have a wonderful night. I'm going to have a hard time deciding. I'm just going to have all three. I'll, de- <laughs> I'll decide in the Uber on the way home. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh, man. You know what? Let's call them. It's time to go have some. Let's do it.